This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shervanian. The opening kickoff. 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 Here are Mark and Lee. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome in. It's another week of the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee, and of course, Triple G. We're all in the studios of WNSP for the next three hours right here on the sports station. Happy Monday. We got plenty to get to, as you would expect. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning. Enjoy your three days here. We'll be on the road Thursday and Friday. Yep, yep. Give away some Jag baseball tickets for tomorrow. That's coming up. Stay tuned for that. Also, a Chick-fil-A giveaway. Uh, We could start with a number of sports. We'll go with the NBA. On Saturday, three of the four home teams won. The only home team that lost was Cleveland to the Knicks. And yesterday, it reversed itself. And three of the road teams won. We had a number of key injuries. Uh, Giannis out with Milwaukee with the back. Only played 11 minutes. Morant went out. In the Memphis game, and after he left, the Lakers went on a 15-0 tear to win their game. And then in the Miami game, and they beat uh, Milwaukee, which, I mean, if you had to say, you know, it's just the first game of the best four out of seven, the one that surprised me the most was obviously an eight-seed Miami uh, winning its game over Milwaukee. But they also lost Tyler Hero with a hand injury. So, you know, th- there's at least three key players, and we don't know their status. Morant's not sure he's going to play in game two against the Lakers. Giannis is, I guess, day-to-day. Hero, I don't think, will be, well, who knows, maybe he will play, but with a broken hand, good luck. Speaking of broken, when I saw Morant, I saw Morant's injury live, I thought he broke his wrist. I, I mean, I, I'm not a doctor, but based on what I saw, because um, he went up, came down, there was, a, he, he, he committed the charge, but he came down that wrist, and it looked like that wrist bent the wrong way. And the way he was re- I man, I, it was hard to watch. They kept replaying, and I was I was just convinced he broke. Well, it. consider this: Miami, Miami, Memphis had the best home record this year, thirty-five and six. Okay, and they lose yesterday to the Lakers. But what really fascinated me, and I actually spent a lot of time watching this game. The Lakers had four players. 20 or more. They haven't done that in a playoff since 1988. They had four players. And yet, if you look at the top scores, it wasn't LeBron. It wasn't Anthony Davis. It was this guy, Rio Hakamara, who was just unbelievable with 29 points. And Austin Reeves, who wasn't even drafted and was given a two-year deal with the Lakers, former Oklahoma uh, basketball player, had 23 points, but he had a run of nine in a row during that uh, long run of points in the fourth quarter. So I'm I'm looking at the Lakers as maybe beating Memphis in this series, especially if Morant doesn't get back. Yeah, Austin Reeves, though, screaming, I'm him, at the end of that game, which, which was hilarious and kind of caught fire across social media. So here's a guy playing with arguably the greatest player uh, in a generation, screaming, I'm him. They couldn't stop him, man. He was... Uh, he he was getting them every way he could. He was uh he was driving the lane. He was he was hitting from the perimeter. It was uh it was watching him drive. It was hilarious. He's dribbling in traffic yeah. and still getting through. And I'm thinking, what did, where did this guy come from? And he I and then I found out he was a point guard at Oklahoma, so he knows how to dribble. 
uh, this is a throwback to shows of yesteryear, but, you know, Austin Reeves played like George Reeves, who was the TV actor in uh, the Superman series back when, if he's going to say, hey, it's me. Uh, but anyway, he was great. But Hakamura, was an, uh, during a season, he was an acquisition for the Lakers, really had a, a night. I mean, 20 a day, 29 points, but he was just unreal from the uh, three-point line. So, you know, the Lakers, you know, it's not – I guess it's not un- it's common, but it's not uncommon for a visiting team to win the first game. And then when you look at some of the injuries, but I still think the Heat as an eight seed and having to win, uh, having to play two playoff games, going to Milwaukee and, and beating the Bucks. And, and yes, on, Giannis only played 11 minutes, so his stat is very much in doubt. Obviously, the game that thrilled me the most was the Knicks winning a playoff game because that doesn't happen. And how about the Sacramento Kings? Mark, the last time, Mark and Nick, the last time the Kings won a game, a postseason game, 2006. Pretty yeah. foxy, huh? <laughs> Pretty foxy, huh? So really yeah. uh, interesting. Because normally, I mean, the first weekend, I mean, this this goes back a ways. Normally the first weekend, the home teams are going to to win. Now, the other game that fascinates me is the Clippers and Phoenix because yeah. Phoenix got beat, and that's the first time they have lost a game with Durant in that lineup. And they, had, as, their, they had their studs all playing. What, they, what's interesting, though, you had two uh, – Two streaks kind of working against each other in that. The comment you just made about Durant and being undefeated. But did I see correctly now that he's lost his last seven postseason games? I thought I saw that at the end of the game. So it was interesting to watch that balance. But uh, Russell Westbrook was absolutely atrocious from uh, scoring the ball, but was unbelievable on the defensive end, especially there at the end. Yeah, he had the block at the end. He had only nine points. He was three out of 19 shooting, which, as you said, now they don't have Paul George. I don't know if he's going to be right. back or not. They don't have Paul George. Uh, Le- Leonard, who just thrives in postseason, and luckily he's healthy right now, had an a, a, a unbelievable, a, a typical Leonard game, 38 points. So Russell, Brook, Russell Westbrook is starting. Three for 19. Just let that sit in. Because next to Trey Young, that's about as bad as it gets this weekend. And and I'm not trying to ruffle Nick's feathers, but Trey is just having an, an awful time hitting threes in postseason. And we'll get to that a little later on because we have Bob Rathman coming on. So, But he has, like, I guess he went double digits and assists. Oh, no, I'm sorry, rebounds, uh, eight or nine assists. But then he had those three blocks. And the one at the end of the game on Devin Booker helped the uh, Clippers oh, it was win that game. And what I loved about that game, though, was it was – it was him, it was Westbrook, and Booker both putting on a really good defensive performance. And when was the last time, seriously, I know it's kind of funny, but I, when was the last time we talked about anybody having a hell of a defensive game when we're talking about the NBA? And both of them were, were, were well, outstanding. Yeah, I defensively, see, I think defense has really picked up. I, I made that uh, mention a few times that some of these playing games where – it looked shoddy because teams couldn't complete inbound passes, but guys were actually trying. They're trying to get interceptions. They're trying to take charges. Uh, this, this, the whole thing, the, the regular season to the postseason really differs. Okay, I'll go around the horn here. I obviously, to me, I'm prejudiced, but my favorite game was the Knicks winning because they had, they hardly ever even get into the postseason. Which one caught your attention, Mark? 
I would say Clippers uh, Suns probably, but that might be recency bias because I watched a lot of that one last night. Nick, what was your favorite uh, game over the weekend? Uh, probably Sacramento versus Golden State. Ooh, yeah, that was a good one. Too. I got a, a great one. question coming up on Sacramento for our Chick-fil-A giveaway. Okay. I say great. I shouldn't say that. I don't like to do that. It's a good question in a sense that it's going to involve some thinking. All right, we're going to get to some NBA, obviously, at 630. Um, John Reese Plumley, remember him, quarterback? I do. Did you see what he did this weekend? I did. Unbelievable. All right, and, and this doesn't happen very often. Plumley played in the baseball game, had a couple of hits, had a triple, then hops on a golf cart after the baseball game. They won, by the way, Memphis 12-3. to And then he rides over to the football field to quarterback the spring game through a couple of touchdown passes. Take that, Dion. Yeah, it was a, it was a cool story. Uh, I, I feel like it probably takes him longer to get out of the baseball gear and into the football gear than it does to actually play. Change in some on of the, the cart. He did not, however. He he got all the way over there. And my question is, do you bring the do you bring your stuff with you? It's already there. How how does his baseball stuff get back to the football facility? It's a mess. They have team managers. Yeah. That's their job. By the way, very overlooked with all that went on with baseball, basketball, a NCAA Division I ruling. And, and we're going to get to this more tomorrow. Kane Womack is going to come on tomorrow. When we talk about the spring game, which was played on Saturday, I do want to get into this. They've changed the recruiting policy. In the past, a football recruit was allowed five official visits. Now this council is changing that unlimited. So in other words, Mark, if your son was playing football, he could go visit any campus anywhere. He could take 100 visits if he yeah. wanted to. The, uh, there is a, uh, there's one uh, 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 added to this. Excuse me. There's one thing added to this, though. You can only visit a campus one time unless there's a coaching change. So in other words, if you went to Florida and they had a coaching change, then you could go there again. So I don't. I want to get the perspective, obviously, of Kane on this, and, and maybe if we could reach John Garcia this week, how this is going to change, if anything, affect recruiting. Uh, I don't want to be the guy that's always like, ah, I don't like that because it's changed. It's just different. I'm trying to find the positives of going to multiple places. I would, I guess... The unlimited doesn't bother me as much as you can only go to one place once. Well, it's don't forget, like, now you can still go unofficially. Right. This is official, where they, the campus pays for it. Oh, well, then in that case, uh, you can fine. visit. You can go there as many times as you want, but the official visit. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You should only get one official visit to each university. Right. I, I'm fine with that. I'm not wild about the unlimited. Uh, I mean, why are we going to put all the... Why are all these kids going to go visit all these schools if they're just going to transfer well, you know, anyway? <laughs> you know what's interesting? A lot of these kids are committing and not even visiting. Yeah. Then they la- later visit. It used to be you take your five visits and then you declare. Nowadays, guys are tweeting out, well, I'm going here and there. Have you visited the campus? No, not yet. Yeah. Um, Texas had their spring game. I'm not surprised that Quinn Hoover's beat out Arch as the starting quarterback. Now, that doesn't mean... You know, in the fall, there might not be a change. I'm just saying, coming out of spring. And, and did you expect, because like with Alabama, 
you know, they have their spring game coming up. Auburn's had theirs. You know, they're not naming their starting quarterback. It's a little bit different, though, because Ewers had a really good year last year when he wasn't hurt. So I'm not surprised because, you know, obviously he's been there longer, done more. Arch is just a true freshman. Uh, yeah, not a huge surprise there, but still, I think they're going to be those that are interested to watch how that career arc of Arch Manning plays out. And look, there's always that from a coaching standpoint. Do you do you name the 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 starter now so that those guys can get on board with what you're doing, uh, or do you prolong it so that there's a competition so everybody feels like they're giving their best all the way up until and through fall camp? I think it's a coaching decision. From a news standpoint, I certainly appreciate Steve Sarkeesian making the announcement after his spring game. So uh, we'll keep an eye on things in March and see how he how that develops. One other story over the weekend would certainly follow. Mark and I discuss off there a lot. Barry Dunning at Arkansas has declared for the portal. Am I surprised? Absolutely not. Uh, Eric Musselman didn't play him much this year, and now he has brought in four portal transfers from major colleges and there's a chance a fifth will be there he is like if you put it the top five of coaches who can manipulate this portal he'd be up there well the only reason i'm surprised is six or seven days ago barry dunning posted on his instagram account a picture of him shooting inside the arena saying i'm home in a, in a, in a time where a lot of moving was going on it made it very clear that he wasn't going anywhere and now, less than a week later, uh, he is in the transfer portal. Now, the reports are there are a couple of schools that he is interested in, South Alabama being one of them. Memphis was also named in a report. Uh, and I can tell you I'd be shocked, absolutely shocked, if he wound up at Memphis. But I will also say that I got a pretty good sense that this is going to happen in the next 10 10 to 14 days he's this is he he may we'll we'll know something pretty soon here but i think south has room for him but there's very little room on that roster right now let me also just say this uh there's always an outside chance he can return once you enter the portal you can still come back and play but with the influx of transfers coming in Perhaps Barry sees the handwriting on the wall that if I didn't play much last year and now you got at least four, if not five, and maybe even more portal transfers, you know, they're going to get the opportunity to play a lot. Yeah. Oh, well, look, he's, I have no doubt Musselman sat him down and told him what the score was because he's not the he's not the type that's just going to be jumping in the portal because of playing time. So uh, I'm pretty sure they told him straight up. This is what's happening. And, you know, a lot of this, it's not what he's he does. He's being processed out. Would yeah, be it, it's, it's not a lot of this is done because you can tell in practice. It's it's basically what goes on in practice. It's it's not some – I mean, obviously, he didn't play much in the game, so you can't detail much from that. But they see him every day in practice, so I'm sure that had something to do with his lack of playing time. All right, it's 617. Coming up today, you mentioned Bob Rathman. He's going to join us at 630 talk some NFL. Carvel Jones at 7 o'clock, the uh, – Newest uh, football coach, head coach at Cottage Hill. We'll talk to him. Uh, John Ricciotti, our Miller Golf Report in hour number two. Dan Jennings on some baseball. We'll do some Chick-fil-A in hour number two as well. J.D. Byers on the Jags spring game at uh, 8 o'clock. Mike Rodak on the Alabama scrimmage. I ask the question every year. If no one's allowed to see it, 
Did it really happen? And of course it did. So we'll get to that when we come back as well. We're just getting started. Hit us up in the app at WNSP.com. And of course, give us a call. 694-1055. It's the opening kickoff right here on the sports station, WNSP. This is Chris Samuels. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Roll Tide. And God bless. Welcome back in. The opening kickoff rolling along here on this Monday edition. A couple of other notes quickly. Kyle Larson won his first NASCAR race of the year in Martinsville. Also in golf, Matt Fitzpatrick beat Jordan Spieth playoff hole number three. And A.J. McCarron did return to action yesterday for St. Louis, but his team in the XFL lost to Seattle 30-12. to All right. Uh, all right. So Alabama had a scrimmage over the weekend. Uh, if you were a donor, you got in, pretty much. If you are not, you didn't. And that includes the media who had to kind of piece together their stories for uh, for their publications. Can I say this? Please. They used to, and I don't know where it stopped, and maybe Mike Rodak can fill us in, they at least used to give out statistics. Yeah, they don't even do now that. Now they don't even do that anymore. Why? Do you know why? I mean— they they isn't it better for them to hand out the stats rather than the media to make up their own? Uh, and I'm not saying they make up their own, but to keep track? Uh, I guess if it's a private scrimmage, you don't want anybody knowing what's going on. So I, I don't think anybody inside that building really cares. Uh, now, I don't understand why a program does a private scrimmage and then opens the doors for the media to talk to the kids about the scrimmage because then that's how they piece it together you know i'll ask little i'll ask you know receiver lee shervanian hey how'd it go who caught touchdown passes and you'll tell me and so they'll try to piece together stuff like or that or do they go after the donors yeah i don't know that's a that's a good question i just i i always thought in the past i say i don't know how far back they at least got statistics so they can right. work around that look they can do what they want and they normally do but can't you make it a little bit easier for the media? At least give them a stat sheet so they have an idea of who did well. Uh, so Saban talked about Jalen Milrow and, and Ty Simpson. I think he, I think he characterized the the scrimmage as a little up and a little down, which is typical Saban. But um, I tell you what, um, all accounts, he used some some interesting words when talking about Jalen Milrow. Stuff up, look. He hasn't said – it's not that it's stuff he hadn't said before, but he starts talking about Jalen Milrow and his ability to run with the ball and use his legs in a way that he rarely talks about people. Still, he is quick to point out that Ty Simpson can run the ball too, uh, and I think he's more con concerned, at least after the scrimmage, with their abilities to make the right plays, when to hold the ball, when to run, and to make the right reads. But, man, all indications are – Jalen Milrow is really special when he's running that football. So uh, when he talks about him in that way, and yet it's hard to keep it's hard to keep him off the field. Yeah, but in this narrative, like. uh, 
And, and maybe are we looking at uh, like a, a Jalen Hurts because that's what Jalen was better at when he first came to Alabama, and yet the narrative was that when Reese took over as offensive coordinator, this is not me now. I'm talking about some of the some of those that are closer to the scene felt this was a gimme for Ty Simpson to become the starting quarterback because he's more of a drop back. Yeah, yeah, and and he, I think he has. Um, it, it feels like, and for all you more experienced Alabama fans, it feels like this may not be a great comparison. The whole Tyler Watts, Andrew Zhao thing, um, where one's a really good runner, the other one's more of a passer. Probably not a Could great you? Comp. All right, let's let's bring it closer to home. Blake Sims, Jay Coker. Um, Jake Moore, the passer, Blake. Because if you remember after the spring game that people were really down on Blake Sims. Yeah. Boy, that's all I heard. Uh, we're, we're doomed. We, we're, we're stuck. And then, of course, Blake went on and had a really good year. Yeah. I mean, I. that's not to say, like he said, because like, Ty can, can obviously run the ball, but every time they talk about Ty Simpson, I feel like they're talking about his ability to – to kind of direct any indication as far as any receivers that are stepping up Burton's still there isn't he um Jermaine Burton yeah I'd have to go back okay. and check my notes on that one uh I, I spent more time kind of reading about the quarterbacks as you should as that's should. a big story yeah uh we'll get back to that because Mike Rodak's gonna join us at 8 30 when we come back, though, Bob Rathman's going to join us. Uh, we'll talk some uh, NBA playoffs. We also have some JAG tickets to give away in this hour as well. So we're off and running on a Monday edition. It's the opening kickoff, Mark and Lee, right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. Stay with us. Yeah, huge play there at the end of that game. Welcome back in. 6.32 on a Monday. It's Mark and Lee. It's the opening kickoff right here on the sports station, WNSP. All right, let's go up to Boston now. My good buddy, Bob Rathman, the voice, the TV voice of the Atlanta Hawks, is on the line with us right now. Good morning, Bob. How are you today? Good morning. Happy Patriots Day from Massachusetts. Oh, that's right. Are you, are you going to the game today? Boston Angels? I am not going to the game. We're going to practice, but we've got our equipment guy, Zach Walsh, who we all adore. He is running in the Boston Marathon today. That was his group leaves around. His group leaves around eleven thirty, and uh, take from Hopkinton, and it'll take him about four hours. <clears throat> Excuse me. So when we get back from practice, we're all heading over to the finish line to cheer him on. Oh, that's he fabulous. was originally scheduled to run in 2020. Yeah, I was going to ask and you if you were going to. Obviously, the race got postponed, and he hadn't had a chance to run with us being in the playoffs. But it, it worked out so crazily that we ended up winning in Miami, drew Boston, and then they gave us the day off today because the Bruins have the building tonight. So the stars aligned, and he was – 
thanks to the equipment, his counterpart, the equipment manager of the Celtics, they were able to get him in right at the very last moment. So it all worked out, and he's getting ready to leave the hotel here in about an hour. Good luck to him. The only reason I mentioned the Red Sox-Angels-Patriots Day is because Otani's pitching for the Angels, which I think would be quite an attraction. But let's get to basketball. Home teams dominant. May I mention, Lee, before we do, you know, Babe Ruth pitched in Fenway Park. And today, Otani pitches in Fenway Park. And he's the closest thing I think we'll ever see to Babe Ruth. And this old place is still standing and still hosting Red Sox games. And they, they first pitches, I think, at 11-10 this morning. All right. I have a, a baseball question we'll get to at the end of this. But let's get to some basketball. Uh, home teams dominated Saturday and the visiting teams yesterday. Setting aside the Hawks for a second, because I'm going to have Nick ask you questions on that. Which game surprised you the most? Oh, surprised me. Um, I wouldn't say surprised. Um, interested in the Clippers and Phoenix. I think that's going to be a great series. Um, maybe New York winning in Cleveland was a bit of a surprise, but that's a 4-5 matchup, and they're pretty even. The one thing about the NBA and the playoffs, especially when you get deeper, uh, these teams are, are pretty good. And home court is, until you get to game six and seven, is really not that big of a deal. And anybody can really beat anybody anywhere. It's just a matter of can you get your act together, concentrate, execute, and and maintain that intensity for 48 minutes. But I wouldn't say a surprise. I I really loved uh, the Sacramento win over Golden State. I love that atmosphere. Those people in Sacramento are so happy. And then the Clippers' sons last night, I thought, was just fantastic. What a great game. So uh, the Atlanta Hawks, they went down by 30 in that first half to the Celtics, but then they actually won the second half pretty handily. What do you think Atlanta needs to do the rest of this series to repeat what they did in that second half and have a chance in Boston? Well, we have to defend better for sure. I think one of the big things is they've, they've got to figure – figure out a way really to how to best use Clint Capella. Um, having him stand away from the basket and guard Al Horford in the corner is not going to work. I think we might see, if not at the start of the game, early in the game, we might see a little lineup change where they may put a Anyeka Kagu in there a little bit earlier and save Capella for when Rob Williams comes in the game. Because Williams is a guy that hangs around the basket. And I think Clint can nullify him a little bit more. You know, Williams sort of had his way when he came in there. Uh, But Boston's tough on your bigs because they stretch the floor so much uh, with Al shooting his threes. Um, But if they can get Williams in the game, put Clint on him, it'll take one three-point shooter off the floor, and I think that will help them. But they've they've got to be better at the point of attack. Uh, They had little ball pressure on Boston, and you cannot – play these guys that way do you, is there is there anything going on with uh deandre hunter he's supposed to be our best defender but jason tatum and jalen brown just seemed they were taking turns having their way with him well i, I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with him i think it's it's more of a matchup problem you know dejounte is not the biggest guy in the world and and tatum and brown are both much much bigger 
Uh, it's one of the challenges we have, particularly with Trey on the floor, is when they need a, a hoop, they just go to Derek White or whoever, Marcus Smart, and they just jump over Trey once they get him in isolation. So that's a concern. But Murray's got to be better. Uh, this is a, kind of a new experience for him. You know, he had that playoff run as a rookie in San Antonio, but he hadn't done the playoffs in three years. So getting used to that intensity, this crowd, uh, the Celtics are a great team. Uh, I think you'll see a different DeJounte Murray tomorrow night. Bob, let me ask you about Trey Young. Eight for his last 49 shooting threes. How does he break out of that slump? What does he do? I think like most players, uh, Lee, you've got to let the game come to you. Don't force it. Concentrate on being a facilitator. Uh, and that is something I think against Boston he can do very well. Uh, but, you know, you've got to – You've got to limit your turnovers, and and Trey had, I think, five on Saturday. And for a playoff game, that's way too many. You know, he led the league in turnovers this past year. He's got to be able to protect the basketball, make good passes, and he's going to turn it over some, but not turn it over five times. And I think that will help the Hawks' offense more than anything. Then let the three-point shot come to you when you have your opportunities. But don't force it. Don't. Don't take shots under duress. Don't take bad shots because the possessions are too valuable. Talking with Bob Rathman, the voice, TV voice of the Atlanta Hawks. So when I asked you about the biggest surprise, the one to me was the eight-seed Miami after playing two play-in games, beating Milwaukee. Granted, Giannis only played 11 minutes. I guess my question is, can Milwaukee take this series even if they don't have a healthy Giannis? Well, it should be tough for them. But remember, Miami beat them twice in the regular season. They've had playoff series the past, uh, not last year, but two years before, and they split them. So Miami and Milwaukee, to me, is a very even matchup, despite their seeding. I, I think they both know how to beat the other, and that'll be a good series. But anytime you take a guy like Giannis, is probably going to be uh, you know, top one or two in the MVP voting. Um, you take him off the floor, it's gonna it's gonna make a difference. I think the bigger issue is what's Miami gonna do without Tyler Hero. Uh, you're taking a, a big offensive weapon out. Uh, you know, can Duncan Robinson step into that breach as big a defensive liability as he is? Not that Hero's a great defender either, but uh, you you got one less rotation guy. So I think the two injuries are definitely going to affect that series. How about Memphis? Are they in trouble now? They're down one nothing. This is a different Lakers team that started out the year. They're getting a lot of help besides LeBron and Davis, and now we don't know about Morant. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I hope he's going to be okay. It looks like he's going to be out for game two. I don't know, man. That's a tough one. Uh, you'll see a stat trotted out in their next game about how Memphis had such a great record without John Morant um, during the past season with all the games that he missed. But that was regular season. And as you mentioned so accurately, this is a this is a different ball game. you got a Laker team playing its best basketball of the year. I mean, Austin Reeves was just incredible. LeBron didn't even touch the ball down the stretch. Um, when's the last time that happened in a playoff game? And L.A.'s rolling, and they've got a great, great degree of confidence. You know, that's a, for Hawks fans, that's a, a tough matchup for us because we're rooting for both guys. You know, Darvin Ham and Taylor Jenkins were both assistant coaches for us under Mike Budenholzer, and we root for those guys. But if Taylor doesn't have Ja, it, it's going to be tough for them. They've already lost home court. Okay, you used to broadcast baseball, Major League Baseball. 
Over the weekend, the Mets game, the broadcast team, Gary Cohen and his partners, had to vacate a press box and go to another one where they were behind a pole because a possum was loosed in the visiting broadcast booth. Did you ever have an experience like that, broadcasting baseball, where an animal drove you out of the press box? No. Uh, other than some of the analysts I work with, uh, no. Those are the closest animals we had. Not just kidding. Uh, no, I cannot remember being driven out of a uh, out of a press box due to a rodent infestation. I think um, we had a fire alarm go off one time, and the funny thing is nobody moved. Uh, the fire alarm. I think we were in Toronto, and um, the fire alarm went off, and everybody kind of looked around. The game's still going on, and then. About 30 seconds later, the uh, in-house PA came out and said, oh, don't worry, it's a false alarm. Somebody hit the button and um, stay where you are. And so that was about the closest thing I've, I've come to. Bob, I can't. How about you? No, I can't ever remember anything like that. Of course, I didn't. I never had the chance to be in a major league press box to actually yeah, broadcast. Yeah, you called a million games. Yeah, I don't ever remember. I mean, I had experiences, but not quite because of a possum getting loose. And it wasn't that the possum was there. It was just the stench from its residue that drove the announcers into another uh, press box. And you know and you know about those Met guys. They just pick up on anything and, and can go a long way with it. And Gary Cohn was talking, yeah, yeah, we moved to another press box. We're right behind a pole blocking my vision. Great stuff. Well, you got a choice. You can go back to the possum. Look, Bob, we've all had experiences. My gosh, I broadcast a game in Manhattan College one time where they forgot to put a press box in there for basketball, and I was doing it from a fire escape. So I'm sure we've all we've all had a, those uh, moments, right? Oh my goodness! I remember Joe Lewis Arena in Detroit, and they opened that building. I believe for the Republican National Convention in the summertime. And uh, by the time the Red Wings had started, they forgot to build a press box. Now think about that one. The Detroit Red Wings. <laughs> they get down to the start of the season, they don't have a press box. They had to build one, and it stayed up there. They never really put a permanent press box in. Uh, all, all those years, and boy, was it tight up there! Right at the, as you know, hockey press boxes are right at the top of the building, and it, you had to walk through the stands to get up there. It was crazy. Wow! Hey, look, have fun today at the Boston Marathon. Good luck to your friend who's running, and hopefully the Hawks can get it back. And we look forward to getting you back next week. All right, and thanks for your well, time, I appreciate Bob. Appreciate that. Absolutely, guys. Great to be with you as always. Thank you so much. That's Bob Rathman, the TV voice of the Atlanta Hawks. All right, uh, Mobile Oral Facial Surgery, just a, a quick note about them because we're going to be out on two locations this week, and they are our title sponsor. We'll be at St. Paul's on Thursday and Sarah Land on Friday. Uh, you can reach uh, the doctors, the oral surgeons, 715 Downtowner Boulevard. The number is 471-3381. They specialize in, well, just about anything you can think of, oral surgery, dental implants, wisdom teeth, 
uh, facial surgery, things like that. Dr. Christopher Mullinux, outstanding professional in his own right and very personable, as is his staff. Very little waiting time in the waiting room. And as I have said many, many times, after my 7, 8, I've lost count. Uh, the next day, no pain, very, very little discomfort. So uh, if you, you don't need a referral. If something happens today, give them a call, 471-3381. All right, when we come back, uh, something I wanted the three of us to get into. We're going to give away some tickets, but uh, some Jag baseball tickets. But there was a little scuttle because there were so many, there were a few charges taken in all the NBA games over the weekend. There was uh, some folks out there that thought that, and I'm paraphrasing, I can't use all the words, it's family-friendly radio, that the charge is a stupid rule and it's not defense. Ban the charge, rotate over, and try to play defense instead of just getting in the way. Being a traffic cone is not playing defense. I'm curious to get your reaction, both you and Nick, on that one. And, of course, you guys. Give us a call. 694-1055. It's the opening kickoff. We wrap up hour number one next right here on the sports station WNSP. I'm Bobby Humphrey, and when I'm in Mobile, I'm listening to WNSP FM 105.5. Look at them Jaguars. Look at them Jaguars. Love the way they play that game. Look at them Jaguars scoring them home runs. Sunbelt's gonna be their fame. Here's your chance for some baseball tickets on this Monday morning. South Alabama Jacks took two out of three from ULM. They have a non-conference game tomorrow night at home against Alabama State. The game time is 6 o'clock. However, if you win these four tickets, get out there early at 5, they will complete the suspended game from last week in which the Jags were trailing 5-3 to Alabama State. They played that in Montgomery. They called it on account of darkness. So you can go watch the completed game. And then the regularly scheduled game by answering this question. Tampa Bay Rays have certainly been the, the story in Major League Baseball. They had the 13-game win streak. They lost two out of three this weekend. But in their 16 games, they've had at least one home run in each game. Name the team that holds the record to start this season. The team that had 20 straight opening, uh, well, I say opening games, 20 games to begin the season with at least one home run. Name the Major League team that holds the record to start this season on 20-game string of at least one home run. All right, and while you're doing that, the idea of the charge being banned was brought up over the weekend. Some saying it's not real defense just standing there or sliding in at the last second as the guy is going to the rim. What's your take on that one? I'll tell you, the, the one thing on the chart, and it's a, as you know, it's a very tough call. It's, I, I mean, it's the hardest call yeah, in all Yeah, easily. Of okay, we, we agree on that. The one thing I don't like about the charge is when a player leaves his feet in the air to shoot and somebody does to slide in and then they call a charge on that because the guy has already left his feet and I, I don't like that part of it. I don't want to see this charge taken out because then you could have chaos all over the place. I think there's a need for it. I admire the players, that the blue-collar players that step in there and take the charge. Um, 
so as as a good defense, yeah, any anything you can do to to keep the other team from scoring and get the ball back is good defense. I think those that usually complain about charges or guys that take charges uh, are soft. I think they um, I think they are the type that like to slash and want to finish and they are frustrated that there is a counter move to that. Um, you know, people will sit there and scream about, ah, it's not good for the game or it's not fair. No, you you like to get to the rim and you are frustrated because someone's willing to sit there and, and play defense. You know what, Mark? You remember the movie? Well, of course you do. Happy Gilmore, when he went to the batting cage. <laughs> yes. And instead of taking swings, he stood yes. behind home plate and took the front of the pitches right in his gut. Yes. That's what charges you. I mean, you got to be tough. You got. I mean, you're going to get hit. You're going to get a knee into your and, stomach. And, and for those that say it's not fair when they're sliding in, well, if he's sliding in, then it's a block, right? I mean, you've got to maintain possession. And and there are ways to get around that if you're slashing. That's why the Euro, it's one of the reasons why the Euro's gotten so popular because a lot of guys will, and it's probably why you don't see a lot of charges in the NBA because the Euro, guys are now Euroing around the guy standing there. I mean, let me charge. ask both of you. The games that I've seen, I don't watch as much NBA as, as Nick does, maybe a little bit more than you do. But I've seen a lot of basketball players doing the uh, run to the ba- I say run to the basket, driving in layups. I don't see a lot of players moving in to take charges. I'm wondering if that's the reason I'm seeing a preponderance of players driving to the basket and scoring layups because guys aren't stepping in and taking the charge. I don't know. Is that anywhere accurate, Nick? I don't know. Uh, no. I mean, if, if, if there's someone there who takes charges, they'll step in and try to take it. You're not going to see a big man like Rudy Gobert or Clint Capella take a charge, but... If you have a point guard down there, they're not really going to do anything else. That's the one thing that they can do to be effective. (laughs) But, I mean, like, you look at these two players who got injured, right? Giannis, what is he known for? Just running full speed ahead and, you know, taking it right to your chest. Who's the other guy? John Morant. He's known for just running straight down the lane and jumping over you. And, Mark, you're probably pro-charge, right? Yeah, I'm definitely pro-charge. He takes charges, right, all the time. Us with that guard mentality. I don't necessarily think... I think we're maybe being a little reactionary, if that's a word. It is. Uh, Just because they did get hurt, but I don't know. If you beat him to to that spot, you beat him to that spot. All right, what happened? You said Giannis. Uh, I know he got fouled by Love. Was that on a driving layup attempt and Love just knocked him down? On the the charge where he got hurt? Yeah, when he got hurt, when he came, he landed on his back, and then he, he came back and then went out again. Was that like a, a, a – dr- yeah. I know Giannis likes to drive to the basket, but did Love do anything yeah, out of Kevin the ordinary? Love, Kevin Love's uh, known for being really good at taking charges. So Kevin Love just got to that spot, planted his feet, and what happened was you were talking about them going up in the air. John Morant was right off his jump. Giannis was right off his jump. I mean, it's just an unfortunate thing. They they fell kind of awkward. I mean, they're not going to change the rules of basketball off one day of games where people were getting hurt. That's not going to happen. But is is taking? I guess the bigger bigger issue is taking charges, playing defense. That's what some of the scuttle yeah. was. 
Um, yeah, it is. Because people, people are people that are anti-charge are talking about it being a, a cheap trick, right? It, it's kind of like in soccer, like you try to get the other team to be offside, so you pull all your defenders up. You know what I mean? You know that old trick. I'm talking to a bunch of soccer guys here, clearly. Uh-huh. <laughs> you want to describe that again, please? If you take away the charge, we're already complaining about defense yeah. and the scores being super high. If you take away the charge, Giannis will average 60 points a game. Yeah. Because there's no – why would Giannis not just run full speed ahead to the rim every time and get fouled? Yeah. There'd be no possible way to stop him. There'd be no way to stop any big athletic guy from scoring 50 points a game. There would be no answer. Someone said, how about you go up and challenge a shot? You can go up and challenge a shot, but here's the problem with that. It's it's as difficult, I think it's as difficult a a call as the block charge because the defender has that right to go straight up, right? It's called verticality in, in the NBA. In, in basketball, you go straight up, but they never get that call. No. The offense always gets that call. Yep. Always gets yep. that call. Even when the offense will lean a shoulder in uh, to create that space. So yeah, guys are taught to go straight up. And if you're a guard, you're not run, you're not gonna you're not gonna jump with these guys. You're gonna take the charge. You're just gonna get an, give them an and one problem. Right. And then the flip side of that is big guys that try to take charges rarely get it because they're so big. Right. It's got to be that short guy that gets just plowed through. Yep. All right, hour number two on the way. We can continue to talk about that and much more. Carvel Jones is set to join us, the newest head football coach at Cottage Hill. John Ricchetti and Dan Jennings, back-to-back-to-back guests right here on the Sports Station WNSP. This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. All right, 7.04, welcome back in. Hour number two of the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee and Triple G back in the studios of WNSP. All right, some headlines. First round playoffs in the NBA started Saturday. Three of the four home teams won, only the Knicks being the only road team to win. But yesterday, three road teams won their games, including the eight-seed Heat beating Milwaukee, the Lakers beating Memphis, and the uh, Clippers beating Phoenix, Denver holding Ford as the only home team to win yesterday. And we had three key players go out with injuries. Giannis from Milwaukee, Morant for Memphis, and Hero for Miami. Uh, Pelicans assistant coach Ryan Pannone has joined the Alabama coaching staff as an assistant under Nate Oates. Now, he is coached in the G League affiliate of the Pelicans in Birmingham. Some other uh, headlines, McGill Tulinalum Barry Dunning has entered the transfer portal after spending his freshman year at Arkansas. Already Eric Musselman has brought in four transfers from the portal, and there's a possibility a fifth may come in. Texas head football coach Steve Sarkeesian announced that after the spring game that incumbent Quinn Ewers has beaten out freshman Arch Manning as the starting quarterback. Well, over the weekend, it was announced that Cottage Hill has hired 
their football coach, uh, Stacy Luker, who we talked to just a couple of weeks ago in person out at uh, our uh, championship drive, uh, decided not to take the job after all. So uh, Chris Brazil, the headmaster, wasted no time in promoting defensive coordinator Carvel Jones, and he's on the line with us right now. Coach, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. I'm well. How are you? Good. So when we talked to you a couple of weeks ago, you're coaching track. When did when did all this news strike you? When did you find out that Coach Luker decided not to come? And then did you campaign or put your name in the hat? Um, I, I probably kind of found out around the same time everyone else did, and um, yeah, I was I was eager for the job because I know the type of kids we have. So um, we sat down and kind of talked two things out, and um, we were all on the same page about it. Did you get any indication why Luker did not come aboard after having accepted? Uh, no, sir. I, I did not know. All right. You take over now. This Is is this your head uh, first head coaching position, Carvel? Yes, it is. What's what's uh what what do you got planned? I mean, I know it's early and you just got the job. So now, and of course, you're still coaching track. So, are you gearing up for spring practice or just what? Well, we, we're trying to wrap up. I'm trying to wrap up track first. But um, first thing on agenda is finding some coaches, finding some like-minded coaches first, and um, we'll probably uh, opt to play that early August game. Um, so we'll probably just go out a couple of hours a week during the spring is, is probably what we're going to do. So that's, what I, that's what I'm looking at right now. Why don't you just hire your brothers to come and help you? <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it? That's a good idea. Yeah, just bring the Jones boys in and uh, have them coach. So a defensive coordinator, are you looking for somebody to help with the offense, or are you going to also have your hands on that? Um, y- yes, I'm, I'm looking for someone uh, in that role. Um, right now, just we're on spring break, so I'm just going through resumes now. So um, I'm hopefully, hopefully, I can sit down with some with a few guys in the middle of the end tw- uh, of this week and uh, have some things sorted out. Uh, I'll have Lee uh, fax his resume over. He is a big fan of the Veer. And I think that would, yeah, I think, uh, you know, like Denzel said, it's like Novocaine. Give it time. It'll work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, just just move his over to the side just as, a, as an emergency backup. Just in case, okay. last minute. Um, is it now? Okay, so you take over program. Uh, are, there, are there big changes in, in place? I mean, are you going to change much? What's there? Uh, um, not really. Uh, you know, simpler is better for for kids that I found that get to play faster. That's my philosophy. So, um, you know, the X's and O's of the games are pretty much the same. But you know, if you try to make it too complex, uh, kids get confused. So, um, we we probably won't have much change. Um, maybe tweak a few things, but it'll probably still be the same. Let me ask you something. When I was t- had this conversation the other day about the Thomas. Uh, players out there who, who we all thought were going basketball. Uh, just talk about them. I know they're going in different directions, one at South, one at UAB, as far as being football players, since you coached them. 
They have a very, very high ceiling just because their athletic ability and their size and range is very unique. Most guys with that height can't bend and get in and out of breaks, but they do it very well. Um, Trent's going south to play tight end, um, and Tyler's going to UAB to play linebacker. Um, They've probably put on another – they're close to 240 now. So they put on a lot of muscle since then. So uh, I'm looking for them to make some kind of impact. Not Maybe not start right away, but at least get some reps um, their first year. So it, it, it's going to be um, very interesting to see them grow. Hey, man, congratulations. Uh, really uh, excited for you. Uh, we look forward to talking to you again. And make sure you get a bigger whistle, man. You're the big man. So get Brazil <laughs> over to get you a bigger whistle. Okay, I'll do that. Yeah, all right, man. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks for spending some time with us. All right, yeah, have a good one. Yes, sir. That is Carvel Jones. Uh, really excited for him over there at Cottage Hill. John Rochetti's going to join us in a few minutes. We'll do the Miller Lite Golf Report. Uh, Dan Jennings to talk some baseball. Uh, and uh, we have some Chick-fil-A this hour as well, so you guys can jump in on that. We did get a winner on the Alabama, uh, South Alabama tickets. Mark is his name. Of course it is. Yes, it is. Uh, four tickets. Congratulations. The answer was Seattle. Seattle opened up the 2019 season, 20 straight games with at least one home run. Very good. Hey, did y'all see the uh, – the? Uh, so you you mentioned uh, Plumley. Did you see he said he, he – it took him seven minutes to get from the – I'm trying to remember what order he did it in. Baseball. He did, he did baseball first. Yeah, and then it football. It took him seven minutes to go from baseball – to football and change and change unis like they had him on a golf cart how fast how fast did it take you to get out of the house in the morning how if you were running late and you had to get out of the house how fast can you be out the house realistically probably 10 15 minutes probably let's say nick this is probably your area of expertise i, do <laughs> I, was to say, I do that time trial every morning yeah give me Give me like a minute and a half. From the time that you you jump out of bed, like if I'm late and that, like it it, it like you're awake, like right? when you know you're late and you got to get yeah. somewhere like to the radio because you know like the radio ain't waiting for you. I I can be out of the house in under five. Now I may not look I, like I, think I can do it in a minute and a half, maybe quicker. Yeah, just open my eyes. Oh crap! Lee's about to be calling me, yelling at me. Yeah. Throw some pants on, shirt, socks, shoes. In the car. Yeah. Now, how long yeah. it gets here, it's different, but but See, yeah. And I, and I can I can do it in five minutes, and I can work drive time in, into mine. Yeah, because you, you're not far from here. Like, right. Now, I can tell you that we might have been on location once uh, where I might have – the buzzer didn't go off. This was a couple years ago. But I made it from my house to one school that's – a little bit further up north 65 i won't mention names uh and i got there in record time we're talking from west mobile to the land i i did it in probably interstate alone somewhere between eight and 12 minutes i mean i dude was that that right vertical pedal was on the floor i have been late in broad to my shift only one time 
and I started in 1969. <laughs> what was the reason? I'm going to tell you. All right. So moon landing. This was in uh, <laughs> streets were filled with parades. You know, I I remember being at, watching that at night. That moon landing. I don't remember. Don't if it distract him, Dick. Do. That's right. Yeah. Don't don't get me off track. So we had a snowstorm in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Drink. So instead of driving, since we couldn't drive, I walked to work. My ninth year of my ten years at this radio station, I was five minutes late. News director pulled me aside, said, you you do that one more time and we're going to dock your pay. I'm like, first time in nine years of the snow, I had to walk. Yeah, uphill, backwards. Whatever. That was the only time. I, I can time. say this, in all the years I've been doing radio with you, and we've been doing it a long time now, you've never been late. Now, knock on wood, for those with radio vision, I'm knocking on my own head. I haven't been late in a long time. Mark, when I was started out in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm already sauced. All right. So I don't know if you know this person. He was. They stuck me on the morning show, which was the worst thing that could have happened to me because I had no news experience. For you. Oh, I'm sorry. And the listeners. <laughs> so they stuck me on the morning show. You don't put a rookie on your morning show. And, and the fellow I was working with, his name was Tim Lennox. He was driving in from Asbury Park, which is about a 40-minute drive okay. to New Brunswick. Tim Lennox was late one morning, and they told him that if this happened again, they were going to fire him. Mm-hmm. Less than a week later, he was late again. Yeah. They fired him. Yeah. Well, at least they were true to his word. They were true to the yeah. word. The funny thing is, after leaving New Brunswick and coming down to Pensacola and then taking the position at WKRG, I found out that Tim Lennox was like news director at Jocks. I'll huh? never forget that. I, I What a small world. All right. Uh, Sean in the app said on time equals late. Yes. And uh, five or 10 minutes early is on time or 15, whatever, whatever number you want to use. So, guys, we, we're going to do scoreboard traffic and weather. But tell me, Nick, quickly, what's your best? What was your, what's been your best excuse ever for being late? Oh, man. I'm sure you've had some creative ones. And Lee's never late, so he ain't got yeah, no. I have a good exactly story on that, like, though. Uh, in high school, working at little uh, grocery store and fast food jobs over the summer, I know a couple times I've pulled out the, oh, man, I got in this little fender bender wreck. I, my car doesn't have any damage, but I had to deal with all that. I, I pulled that one out before. I had a bunch of interns, obviously, in back when I was working at, at KRG. And, yeah, you did. And one of them told me, I have, I gave him an assignment at night. This is a little different than this. And he said, look, don't count on me the next day because I'm going to be up front with you. I'm going out and getting drunk tonight. I said, okay, at least you're honest. Yeah. Uh, I had a friend in Montgomery, well, a colleague in Montgomery when I worked in Montgomery, who called in sick because his uh, in-laws, uh, one of his in-laws had died. Mm. So his wife, whatever, called the sports editor and was like, and so the sports editor was like, I'm so sorry to hear. And she's like, about what? (laughs) She was calling looking for him. He wasn't there claiming her, her, her parent had passed away. I've heard that uh, at every new job, you have four guaranteed excused absences you got each grandparent on each side there you go 
Alright, so hit us up in the app. What's your best excuse for being late to work? Or what has been the best excuse you've heard? In the app, if you're driving down one of the many streets with multiple lights heading downtown and you go through a yellow light, do you speed up in order to get on the green light pattern the rest of the way? Oh well, yeah. Especially at the hour we come through here. Absolutely. Hope to see you out there, fellow motorists. All right, here comes your scoreboard traffic and weather. Your Miller Lite golf reporter next right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. It's the opening kickoff. Hi, everybody. Jennifer Hale here from the NFL on Fox. And you're listening to 105.5 WNSP in Mobile. Welcome back in on this Monday edition. It's the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee from the studios of WNSP. Time for the Miller Lake Off Report. John Ricchetti and Johnny this winter yesterday at the Heritage Fitzpatrick. I know he won a major last year. Has he done much since until yesterday? No, it's a great point there, Lee. This kid's uh, ranked in the top 15 in the world and uh, one of the new young stars in, in the world of golf. But no... To his credit, he only has two tour wins uh, on the PGA Tour. Obviously, the U.S. Open, a major that he won last year, and now he wins the uh, at Hilton Head yesterday in a dramatic fashion over uh, a tour star in Jordan Spieth that uh, had to go to three extra holes, which I thought was some great golf for television down the stretch and all into the playoff where Jordan Spieth had a few opportunities to win and he just could not get those putts in the playoff to fall and Matthew Fitzpatrick hit that great iron shot on the third extra playoff hole to just a tap in birdie and uh, here's your 2023 champion but uh, it was some great golf uh, an event that had 10 of the top excuse me seven of the top 10 players in the world in the field so uh, all in all I thought it was a great event uh, at Hilton Head this past weekend so other than that pretty quiet in the world of golf uh, we'll be on the air tonight at six o'clock uh, live from Terry Thompson Chevrolet and we'll uh, do a breakdown of the world of golf and uh, and talk about the new tournament in New Orleans just coming down the road here uh, the two-man event which would be just coming down next week so a lot to talk about. Stay make plans and tune in tonight at 6 o'clock. We will. Thanks so much, John. Really appreciate it. Mark, you mentioned earlier, because we'll talk to Mike Rodak at 8.30. You know, Alabama's got their A-Day game coming up this Saturday. Uh, you talked about the two quarterbacks. Did you learn much yesterday? I, I say yesterday. From Saturday's scrimmage. They had a scrimmage on Saturday. Did anything come out of this? No, not really. But I do think Nick Saban. So when you talk about the, uh, the two quarterbacks, um, I think it's it. Jalen Milrow, um, I think is going to be incredibly raw. I think he's going to be an athlete that you're going to be tempted to put back there and just let magic happen. But he was asked about uh, both both quarterbacks' ability to run, and he he t- he kept talking about Milrow being a very very special in that regard. But the problem is. Um, he said things like when he talked about Milrose pocket presence, like, uh, he's made progress. 
You know what I mean? That that's a nice way of saying he's got some work to do there. Um, and he and he emphasized like two hands on the ball. Like so, I I I think from a from a I hate to use the word game manager, but from managing the game and running that offense and having that pocket presence, uh, I think it's it's Ty Simpson. Meanwhile, Ty Simpson, he said, hey, is also a pretty good runner too. So I think it's your typical contrasting styles. If you could take Milrose pass uh, uh, ability to run and 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 Simpson's pocket presence and ability to scan I, and put them together, you'd have your guy. So. Um, I think, too, Mark, and we can talk to Mike about this later on, which quarterback fits better the offensive system that Brian Reese is yeah. bringing, or Tommy Reese is bringing in. Yeah, I know. I think that's a valid point as well. But it's, 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 yeah, I'm trying to remember. Is there ever been, has there ever been a quarterback competition where both quarterbacks have the same set of skills? <laughs> it always seems like when we do this, one always has, does one thing better significantly better than the other but not not as good in other areas it always seems like it's a contrast in styles but maybe that's just me dan jennings is next stay with us right here on the sports station wnsp here on a Monday edition. Thanks for hanging with us. The opening kickoff, Mark and Lee, right here on the sports station WNSP. So the Washington Nationals got a win yesterday, and that leads into Dan Jennings, assistant GM with the Washington Nationals. That had to be music to his ears. Danny, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hey, guys. Good morning. How are you? I know you like that eighth inning comeback. I want to get to that in a second, but I want to ask you about the Tampa Bay Rays. You were with that organization way back, and they they always classify them as the lowest payroll, yet they always win. Now, they don't win championships every year. They had the amazing 13-game win streak. They lost two out of three to Toronto, yet they're 14-2. and two. How come other teams that spend a lot of money, like San Diego, some of the other teams, do you think we're going to see a trend where teams may be looking at the race thinking, well, if they can get it done, why can't we? Why do we have to spend so much money? Well, I'll tell you what you see happening. It's a great point, Lee. They're, a lot of their personnel has moved to other organizations, been hired in, in different capacities, <laughs> general managers, assistant general managers, uh, Heim Bloom up with Boston, uh, James uh, Click over with the Astros. They do – in my opinion, of all 30 teams, they do the best job in baseball of developing pitchers. And they have uh, they had a guy there by the name of Dewey Robinson who's now left and gone to Pittsburgh. Um, and, and their pitching coaches, a lot like the Braves had back during the John Sheerholtz era, they had some veteran guys who've been around a long time 
and and they keep them in the same level and those guys just set a tremendous foundation and and Tampa has utilized that to keep their payroll down by growing their own pitching and it's been uh, it's been phenomenal to watch. Well you just kind of a uh move on to my next part question so tampa you know they don't win every year championships or maybe even one year but they're always in the hunt so why do the pittsburgh pirates with a low payroll why can't, why aren't they well i think what you're seeing is uh pittsburgh has recognized that you know they need to put a little greater emphasis on the pitching and they went out and they hired uh, dewey and they've done some other things in that system uh and you know, you look at Pittsburgh now, I have them in spring training as well as one of the teams, and uh, I think they're definitely trending in the right way with, with their prospects, some of their young pitching, and some of their, uh, some of their guys that are close to the major league level. And, you know, you can point your finger at payroll, and that's definitely some of it, but it's not the only factor. I mean, I was a part of a team that had a $50 million payroll and beat a team with a $160 million payroll in the World Series. And and each year, there are teams like Tampa, as you alluded to, they find a way to win because of the players and, and how they develop those players. Uh, the L.A. Dodgers, very similar way. You had Andrew Friedman, who started off in Tampa, and they just put such a great emphasis on the pitching, and, and their process of how they do it has, uh, has paid dividends. But it's not like the Tampa team is stocked with homegrown talent. A lot of their players came from elsewhere, other, uh, other systems. Yeah, I mean, that's look, the whole key is you draft your own, you supplement by signing international, and then you go out on the roads and you make trades and you get undervalued commodities of players that maybe other organizations don't see the same things you do, and that's the game. I mean, that's scouting, that's evaluating, uh, that's the ability to make trades and go, look, we got a surplus of this and we'll trade you for that, and you make it work, and that's putting the puzzle together. Together, which is what truly makes uh, you know makes the game on on our side of it now makes it fun. All right, got a couple other things. Uh, Dan Jennings of the Washington Nationals, as you know, the the infield shift uh, is you can't you know you can't shift anymore, or you got to keep your guys you know this side a second, that side a second. So what is Kansas City doing? What's the Kansas City shift that's becoming more prevalent? You're talking about the outfield, right? Yes, the, the outfield. outfield. What are they over, doing? Yeah. Uh, it, it almost reminds me, I know in softball there's a term short fielder, and that's that's kind of what I have seen when I've, I haven't actually watched Kansas City play. I've seen some highlights on the uh, on the TV, but it looks like that, you know, the old softball term of playing short field and uh, where they're trying to at least, you know, utilize some creativity and take away what would be a normal shift uh, of the last few years. I think baseball has achieved at least the first month what they tried to. Uh, there's more excitement in the game. I think there's more offense, certainly more stolen bases. And, uh, you know, the pace of play uh, because of the time or pitch clock has certainly uh, created that flow that they were looking for. In your win yesterday in the eighth inning, you got a favorable call on a block play at home plate. Can you just talk about that? I mean, what constitutes that the catcher was guarding, I mean, blocking home plate, and then they 
ruled in favor of the Nationals and gave them a run. So you have to have a lane. Uh, you have to you have to allow the runner a lane. They created uh, a rule after the collision with Buster Posey and uh, and uh, the, the outfielder with the Marlins. And so the left foot, which all catchers from an early age are taught to get the corner of the plate, put your left foot there. And I think because of how he had it, it was ruled that maybe inside a little bit of the plate itself, he had his foot. Therefore, they uh, they called uh, the blocking of the lane or blocking of the plate. It truly, I, I was watching the game. I thought Stone Garrett, our, our runner who slid in, I thought his foot actually beat the tag anyway. And he, he did the right thing. Like you're taught, he slid right through the catcher's legs and feet. And uh, I think probably that also helped the call go our way as well. Trevor Bauer, uh, obviously not a very popular name in Major League Baseball, but he pitched a minor league game in Japan. Says he's one start away from being elevated to the majors in Japan. He did okay. Do you think someday that some major league team will bring him back? I, I do, Lee. I know you and I have had this conversation, and I, I do think that they will. Um, you know, it's going to take an organization uh, that's, you know, you're going to have some things that are probably have protests for a week or two, and then you may have a, you know, a guy that pitches at the top of the rotation. You can't deny the guy's stuff. Uh, you also can't deny his history. I mean, he's been traded a few times, and uh, he was suspended by the game, and he served that suspension, and uh, he he was never um, convicted in, in a court of law or by a jury of his peers. So, yes, I do think that could occur. Uh, will it occur? It's going to take a strong uh, front office owner-slash-GM combination who are willing to, uh, to to handle the heat that's going to come with that. Dan Jennings joining us. Okay, on the lighter side, the Mets broadcasting crew had to vacate the visitors' press box in Oakland because of a possum, uh, the smell of the possum <laughs> leaving some, you know what, and so they took over another booth. In your days in the dugout or just in your stories of covering baseball, any such animal stories that uh, – became very prevalent or caused, let's say, the dugout to evacuate or any kind of animals that got into your dugout? I will say that there's so many punchlines to this story that you can't say over air, but, oh, man, you could really have some fun with it. But you know what? My my biggest memory is old Shea Stadium, uh, Lee, and walking from the dugout to the uh, clubhouse, there were some rats underneath there that looked like a football with legs. I, honest to God, some of the biggest creatures I've ever seen running back and forth underneath those bleachers. And uh, you, you would walk that ramp from the dugout to the clubhouse in Shea, and it'd just be amazement how big those, those creatures were running around under there. Did you have a little cheese with you? Throw a little cheese at them? <laughs> What's that? You, you didn't feed them, did you? Oh, no. I, matter of fact, it was probably the quickest pace of walking I had the whole day when I'd see those guys. Uh, Dan, we got a listener in the app wants to know if you saw the Matt Olson hit that was uh, many thought was fair off the left field wall earlier this weekend, but they called foul. I did, and I, too, thought it was, uh, I thought it was fair. 
You know, it's, uh, again, sometimes what we see on the TV versus the, uh, you know, so many different angles of the replays and things that they have. But, yeah, I, when it left the bat and what I got to see of it, I certainly thought it was fair. Danny, another subject Mark brought out, uh, being late for work and excuses. Probably, in my mind, the most famous baseball player that was fam- uh, that got a lot of press for being late was, I think his, I forgot his first name, Perez, the uh, pitcher for Pasquale Perez. He was, uh, he got lost on the highway and he kept driving around the old Braves ballpark. So he never got there in time for his start. In your mind, in your memory, can you come up with a, uh, a story of a, a player who was late for whatever reasons and what kind of an excuse they had? I mean, what, what constitutes being late for a player arriving at the ballpark? Um, that Pascal Perez was probably the most famous. Um, I, I won't say the player's name because he's still playing, but we actually had a player on, uh, on one of the clubs that I was associated with. Uh, we had a Sunday day game, and the player was not there. The manager had him in the lineup. He never showed. He never showed. Uh, finally, our traveling secretary uh, got him on the telephone. He rushed to the ballpark, and uh, he was still hungover, maybe even slightly inebriated, rolled out there and got uh, two hits, both of them doubles. And I'm just sitting in amazement. You know, I think the manager was going, oh, no, I'm going to, it's hot. It's July. I'm going to play him. And uh, the guy went out there and, and he performed. And, you know, I mean, the good of it was is he did and didn't get hurt. The bad of it was is that he showed up, unied up, and was in the, in the uh, lineup within about 10 minutes of first pitch. Do players get fined if they're late? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They get fined, yes. What's the what's the best excuse you ever heard? Uh, <laughs> we had a pitcher one time who says he burned his hand on on a lawnmower trying to fix his lawnmower uh, to cut the yard before he left to come to the ballpark and you know what the real story was who knows but that was the story that we heard and uh, he showed up in the bottom of the first inning and he was a bullpen arm and uh, you know we ended up having to put him on the uh, at that time the disabled list because of the uh, because of the burn was there indeed a burn on his hand Oh, yeah, there was a burn, no doubt about it. Huh. Now, there was a lot of skepticism as to uh, was it the lawnmower, was it something else. But, yes, he definitely, the fingers and the thumb were burned. <laughs> Dan, great stuff, man. We appreciate you coming aboard. Uh, have a great week. We'll be in touch. Okay, guys, you too. Thank you. Have a great week. That's Dan Jennings. Yeah, you want to share your best – I don't even know how we got on – in typical Haim fashion, we, I start talking about things that aren't scripted. So we kind of got on this topic about – being late, how long it takes you to get re- Oh, okay, John Reed's Plumley over at Central Florida. Apparently, it took him only seven minutes to get from uh, the baseball game to the spring game. He played in both. It took seven minutes. He took a golf cart. So I asked, how long does it take you when you're running late? How fast can you get out of your house? But what's been the best excuse you've ever heard for being late to an appointment, a job, whatever? Hit us up in the app. Let us know. In fact, what we'll do is we'll open up the phones when we come back. You can jump in on that conversation. Uh, We also have some Chick-fil-A for you when we come back. 
And um, so we'll do that as we wrap up hour number two. It's 7.46 here on a Monday morning. It's the opening kickoff. Mark, Lee, and Triple G. Oh, and there's also that conversation about charges we need to get back to. People being all reactionary now in the NBA. Charges, taking charges isn't playing defense. Just getting guys hurt. You guys can react to that as well. Good stuff here on a Monday. Stay with us right here on the Sports Station WNSP. I'm Laura Rutledge with ESPN. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Keep it right here for the best sports information in Mobile. Chick-fil-A. I could eat there seven times a day. Where the people laugh and children play. Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A. And who isn't? All right, we got a Chick-fil-A giveaway. This has to do with the Sacramento Kings. Yes, the uh, team that won its first postseason game since 06. Nick, do you know that Sacramento, this is the fourth locale for this franchise, that the fourth place that they have been moved. They have moved four times from city to city to city. Did you know that? No, I didn't know they had moved around that much. Yes, they had. So here's the question. For the Sacramento Kings, call Nick at 694-1055 and tell him the first city that this franchise started out at. All right? The first franchise are the Sacramento Kings, where they started. Uh, their first city before they moved. And and this is the fourth time, uh, the fourth locale for this franchise. All right, there we go. Uh, someone in the app, Auburn is the everything school. Visit Tuscaloosa City Campus and visit Auburn and you will know why. It's a little random, but okay. We always appreciate the feedback. Uh, coming up here at uh, 8 o'clock, J.D. Byers will join us. We'll talk uh, South Alabama spring game. Uh, and Mike Rodak on the Alabama uh, scrimmage. I guess there was a scrimmage. There it's was. Like I ask. I mean, well, if, if we don't know. For, see, yeah, we don't know. That that's what it's defined as. Still can't get over it. And obviously, someone asked Mike, when did the policy of issuing stats for your spring practices or scrimmages stop? Because I can remember a few years ago that every time they had a scrimmage, there'd be some numbers. Now, I don't know if some media guy, well, they couldn't because they weren't allowed at the game. So somebody had to issue it. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm sure the media uh, relations department just threw a couple a few numbers there. together and just said, yeah. here, here you go. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you guys can jump in on a, a number of issues that we've tackled today. The idea that uh, there was some scuttle on social media after the number of injuries in the NBA Mostly, a couple of them due to charges taken. That uh, charge is a stupid rule. I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I can't use the same language that was used on Twitter, and it's not defense. Well, I'm glad there are. I'm glad there are charges. I'm glad that guys are actually stepping now and taking a charge. Someone suggested ban the charge, rotate <laughs> over, and try to play defense instead of just getting in the way. Being a traffic cone is not playing. Defense. All right, now I'm going to ask you a question as a coach. Okay. The way, no, seriously, Mark. The way this game has changed with this spaced out and all that, yeah, is it is it? It seems like it's a little more difficult to rotate because guys are all over the place now and they're throwing passes all around the perimeter. So you know, you're asking what somebody that may be out 
on the baseline to come back and rotate because we see a lot of driving to the basket. And I don't have a problem with guys stepping in there and taking a charge. I mean, look at how astronomical these scores are. Somebody's got to do something to stop it. <laughs> yeah, look, we want to talk about banning the charge. If we did that, I alluded to this in the first hour, Giannis would average almost 70 points a game. Yeah. The only reason he doesn't just put his head down and run full speed to the basket is because he's fearful of getting called for a charge. Right. I don't have the stats with me, but I'm sh- I would bet that Giannis has caused the most charges in the NBA. Okay, Nick, here's a here's a question and Mark maybe you want to weigh in too. Which injury would be the most devastating for either of these two teams? Morant out for a while or Giannis out for Milwaukee? Well, Memphis didn't have John Morant for a lot of this season, and they still played really well. Tyus Jones, he actually has the best assist-to-turnover ratio of any guard in the NBA. Giannis is the motor of the Milwaukee Bucks car. Without Giannis, there is no Milwaukee Bucks. Chris Middleton's still not 100%. I mean, it's just Drew Holiday and Brooke Lopez out there. If the Bucks don't have Giannis, they won't get past the heat. Yeah, I agree. Also, so let, let me clarify, though, because someone's saying players injured from charges because they aren't used to taking them. Very true. There's an art to taking a charge. But what happened over the weekend was guys that had the ball that ran into guy, uh, the defenders, those guys were getting hurt, right? Giannis was getting hurt. John Morant got hurt. Uh, they weren't trying to take the charge. They were the ones called for the offensive uh, foul. So uh, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Again, this is an overreaction by people on Twitter who like the slashing game. Imagine, you think it's bad now. Imagine if they didn't have the, the, the circle underneath the goal, right? If they didn't, <laughs> right. Imagine if that wasn't there, because that's not there in high school. Um, and imagine if they called, because it's still a charge. If you, let, if you drive the lane and you throw up a floater, for instance, and you're still up in the air and you're going forward and you come down on somebody, technically that's a charge, and they don't call that. So it's rare that they call a charge anyway. So I'm I'm all for it because I think it adds a, a, a degree of difficulty to the game that, that is often missed, especially in the NBA. You weren't here last uh, Monday because you're on vacation, and I hope you had a very pleasant vacation. But I, I actually came on the show and was explaining how much I enjoyed the tribute to the Beach Boys on Sunday night. All right, they had a, a big tribute, uh, two hours singing Beach Boy songs. And here we are today, and I'm thinking, you know, really going off the uh, tangent, but Kevin Love, whose uncle's the lead singer for the Beach Boys, uh, comes out of nowhere and has this great game, and he's the one that took the charge on Giannis. What do you have, 18 points and eight rebounds or something? I didn't even, I knew he was, I wasn't sure who he was with. I know he wasn't with Cleveland anymore. He really stepped up his game yesterday. I didn't know where we were connecting Beach Boys, yeah, what we were talking about, but I'll give you credit, Lee. You brought it all back around. I, <laughs> I did. I didn't know that Kevin Love's uncle was in the Beach Boys. He was the lead, he's still the lead singer. Okay. Good. How'd you like that? Learn something new. Every, that, there's yeah. a Chick fil- that should have been the Chick-fil-A question. Yeah. Oh, did we get a winner? We did. Yes. Oh, they got Arthur the answer? Our okay, let me. you guys should know the answer, but let me ask either of you. So we're Sacramento's. What are the cities that they have been in to get to where they are now? Was Kansas City one of them? Yes. Mark, your turn. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. Um, Think Oscar Robertson. 
Did his dad sing for the Beach Boys too? <laughs> no. No, I can't go there. Uh, I have no idea. All right. They went from Rochester, Cincinnati, Kansas City, and Sacramento. I always love when you give the answer with that confidence. That, that, that confidence that you know it. I, I, I mean, can you think of any other franchises that have moved at least four times? Let's see. The Braves were Boston. Milwaukee, Atlanta, that's three, but I can't, I'd have to be hard-pressed to think of a franchise that's moved four times. The Rams? Um, the Raiders? <laughs> oh, wait a minute, let's, oh, wait, no, back up on that. Nick, you, can, you may be onto something. Okay, there was a, a team called the Chicago Cardinals in the old NFL. They moved... I'm trying to think, though, if they – I can't remember if they went to St. Louis. But the Rams went to St. Louis and then went back to Los Angeles. So I don't know if they'd qualify. But I, I'm trying to – oh, the Chicago Cardinals wound up in Arizona. But I don't know if there was a stopover between there. I love the way, like, most people try to sort stuff out in their heads and then kind of relay that message. But we get some insight into the the goings-ons in Lee Shervanian's head. He works that stuff out loud, Well, right? I, you know why? I'm hoping he'll latch on and say, yeah, no, that's not right. Or, no, they went here instead of going there. Hmm. Yeah, see, it's like when you're in school and you're doing the math homework and your teacher tells you to show your work so right. she can see where you kind of got yeah. lost and help you out. That's what I'm looking for. Lee is showing his <laughs> Come work. Come on, guys. Lee help me out. The work. You mentioned there's the like, Cardinals. Carry the one. and Yeah, so help me. Is there a franchise? I, okay, to our famous appers, is there a franchise that has moved as many times as the Sacramento Kings? Maybe the Nets? <laughs> they started out Long Island. Here we go again. Piscataway. Carry, carry the one. Where are they now? Brooklyn? Brooklyn. Where are they now? Brooklyn? Yeah, they're in Brooklyn. Yeah, Brooklyn. Now. They were in New Jersey. Does it count, though, that they were in another league? They used yeah. to. Well, you do to one side of the equation, you have to do the other <laughs> <Yeah>. side. <laughs> Tim Dodd. See, I don't know, I don't know if that counts because they started out in the American Basketball have Association. Have to run to the grocery later today. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Let's get back to what I was talking about. Yeah. And now, how does this connect to the Beach Boys? Yeah. <laughs> You're a treasure, Lee Shervanian. Uh, according to the app, yes, the Cardinals in the NFL were in St. Louis. There you go. Just throwing one out there. Uh, J.D. Byers is next. The opening kickoff, Mike Rodak in hour number three as well. It's the opening kickoff right here on the Sports Station WNSP. The opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. 
All right, 804, welcome in. Hour number three. Thanks for hanging with us on this Monday edition. Mark and Lee from the studios of WNSP. So the road teams dominated yesterday in the uh, first weekend of the first round of the NBA playoffs. The only home team to prevail was Denver. Milwaukee, a top seed, lost at home to Miami. We also had uh, Phoenix losing at home to the Clippers. And we had uh, the other one was the Lakers. They beat Memphis. Memphis had the best home record this year and still lost at home. We had key players go out with injuries like Giannis, like Morant. And like Tyler Hero. Uh, we're going to talk Alabama spring football, uh, the scrimmage on Saturday. But the Jags held their uh, red-blue game on Saturday. And J.D. Byers, the voice of the South Alabama football program, is on the line with us right now. Good morning, J.D. Good morning. How are you today? Oh, I'm, I'm doing splendid. How about you guys? Wonderful. And thank you for taking time to join us. What did you take away from Saturday's blue-white uh, Red blue game. Well, the uh, and this is not unusual. And the defense, at least for the first half of that, was ahead. And that's so much, uh, so often the case. You're, you're seeing what you see so much during practice and fall camp. So a lot of the veterans already knew what the packages were, what the the recognition from the wide receiver setups was going to be. Uh, but the execution by the offense. Um, there was good communication quarterback to wide receiver. There was good route running. They all had good hands. It just seemed like the, the quarterbacks were under duress much of the day because the defense being ahead, they got a really good pass rush. And they were getting good pass rush, Lee, at uh, twos, threes, everybody. So that, that, that tends to bode well that there's good depth along the defensive front at the outside linebacker position. Should we be surprised, though, that defense dominated? For one reason, uh, the starting quarterback didn't play, right, Carter Bradley? Correct. That was uh, a blessing for some of the other guys lower on the depth chart. We saw a lot of uh, Trotter. Uh, he looks good. Um, got to see some of the other quarterbacks. Now, he was dressed out. Carter Bradley had a, had a little bit of a limp, but uh, he was there at every change of possession, and he was over congratulating guys, especially on touchdown passes or conversions or uh, scoring drives. And um, he, he was in very high spirits, kind of like a coach, but he was in uniform, but they held him out just in case. So I, I understand time is of the essence, so I better fire. I've been asked this question. It's way too early, but do you see t 10 wins at least this season with this JAG football program like they had this past year? You know, that many starters back, it, it equates really to 20 when you think about Keith Gallman coming back and all the, the a lot of the skill positions are back, minus a really good wide receiver, a really good corner. If those holes are filled... You know, I think it shapes up. There is the road trip to complete the two-for-one series at Oklahoma State. I'm excited about going back to Stillwater. That's going to be a tough test. But, and I think head coach Kane Womack said this on your radio program as well as uh, other people, that they can't do the same thing they did last year, expect 10 wins. Uh, we were that close to being in a Cotton Bowl. We were that close to being the representative from the West to be in the Sunbelt Conference championship. Um, so... I think 10 wins are very likely, but you've got to do the same thing again, uh, even better this time around. How about the receivers? They lost a couple of key receivers. How does that look right now based on what you saw? You know, and part of what, what, what makes this uh, spring setup is they're, they're able to score a lot of different ways, but they also take breaks, uh, kind of like quarter to quarter to quarter breaks, and they do some fun things. 
they had linemen out there catching punts to see which linemen could see what it was really like being a punt returner. That's kind of comical. But they also had, you know, like the top seven set of hands, and they had a competition to see who had the best hands in the spring. Uh, Lincoln Sessick's a good tight end. He's back. He's solid. But you're seeing those guys understand that every year a marquee wide receiver moves on to the NFL, whose chances are going to be this time around. And during that skills uh, competition to see who had the best hands, you could tell they were really taking it seriously because it's going to be somebody's chance to be a marquee wide receiver this time around. Uh, speaking of uh, skilled positions, Diego showed he, he might be a fake in the future here, although he came up short. I know Kane had a, had a good laugh with that one. God, you mean you're not kidding? There's a drop-off, too, between starting kicker and who might back him up. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as they executed that, I'm thinking, oh, no, don't lose him in the spring. Yeah. Uh, they tried it. You could tell the defense wasn't going to try to murder the guy. They got him to the ground. I don't know if that was just to, to have fun with him and let him see what it's like carrying the big skin. But uh, that, that was pretty fun. He had the, the game winner at the end, too, so they put some pressure on him. It wasn't a long field goal. I think it was 38, 39 yards, something like that, but he nailed it. Watched him a lot just during warm-ups and getting some reps. His leg looks as good as ever. Hey, we know you got to run. We appreciate you coming aboard, man. Uh, have a great week, and we'll do it again soon. Oh, I appreciate it anytime. Always a privilege and an honor to be invited. You guys do great. Thanks a bunch. That's J.D. Byers, ladies and gentlemen, South Alabama. We'll talk some Alabama football coming up at 830 with Mike Rodak, my colleague over at AL.com. We have some time if you want to jump in at 694-1055. I was actually going to ask him about Diego Gorjado. How many years now at South? Is this his sixth year? I was going to say 18. It's nah, close. I, I don't know. Somewhere between 6 and 18 then? Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, it was a fourth and five, I think someone had said. Um, uh, and he was, he, they faked it. He was well short. He's but, a big kid now. He's not yeah. a little, he's not like one of some of these kickers that they, you know, five, seven, 140 pounds. He's got some size on him. Yeah. He wasn't his, uh, he wasn't, he's no Sebastian Janikowski, though. Uh, he's close. He, I'm getting, you know what? Well, Let's look up and see what Janikowski. I don't know what Diego, but when I saw him in high school, and I'm sure he's a little bit bigger in college, he's a little bit bigger than what you would expect from your college kicker. Boy, how old am I? Sebastian Janikowski's 45 now. Wow. Uh, all right, let me see if I can find some uh, stats on Sebastian here versus Diego. Uh, well, because the bet they have them in kilograms, that ain't helping. Uh, six one two sixty is what I'm seeing. I'm guessing Diego's at least six six one, maybe six two, but I'm not saying two sixty. You're not saying that. I'll go. I'll guess. A total guess. Uh, I'll go two twenty. Uh, I'll have to look it up. All right, that's what I'll do. Um, feel free to talk while I do that. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> All right, uh, I want to make a correction, and and believe it or not, I do follow up what our listeners either email me, and I did make a mistake, and so I do want to own up to that. Earlier in the show, I reported that the University of Mobile baseball team had defeated William Carey. As such, I was I was wrong, and it was pointed out to me. William Carey won a doubleheader from uh, Mobile over the weekend, and according to the email I got, that they're playing again today. I've got the results to your unofficial poll question. Uh, Diego stands at a roughly six foot, one hundred and ninety-two pounds, and therefore is sixty-eight pounds lighter than Sebastian Janikowski. So, yeah. 
Still pretty good size for a kicker, though. 192? Yeah, it's, I'd probably yeah. say it's pretty good size for a kicker. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the average weight of a kicker is, but yeah, I'd say it's probably a pretty good size. Very good. All right. Uh, we're looking for a, a bunch of different things today. We're all over the place, which is par for the course. What's your best excuse for being late, or what's the best excuse you've ever heard uh, for being late to work or school or whatever? Where do you stand on charges? There's been a little bit of an outcry now about how charges need to be banned. It's a little extreme, granted, based on the injuries in the NBA. Um, and then there was something else we were messing with. Because uh, Plumlee played in both Central Florida's baseball game and football game. Oh, yeah, so that was the other thing. He said it took seven minutes. He said it's a world record because it's never been done. Like, no one's ever been clocked. So he played in a baseball game and a spring game in the same day, took a golf cart from one venue to the other, and did it in seven minutes. How quickly can you can you get out of your house in the morning? Yeah, Not this, to work, but how much from time the alarm goes off to you're in the car, what's the fastest you've ever done? This uh, Plumlee, as many of you remember, used to play quarterback for Ole Miss yeah. and then transferred. And when he transferred... Uh, Gus Melzahn recruited him. He said, look, I, I certainly want to play football, but I definitely want to play baseball. And he said Gus gave him permission, and there you have it. So when you guys are rushing out of the house, though, is there is there good like muscle memory? Like, Do you know where things are? Like, You don't have to turn on the lights, or, you, or, or are you tripping over stuff trying to get out the house? I, I forgot two things this morning, at least two. So I would say my muscle memory wasn't very good today. Were you in a rush this morning? Yes, because I was uh, running a little late for me. I want to be out of the house like at 3.40. And I, Monday's <laughs> the toughest day for me. Monday's a very tough day in the morning. 3.40. You try to get out of the house by 3.40 in the morning? I tried. Morning. I tried. Oh, my. So what time do you get up? 3? I was up at 3.06 this morning. Is that late? Uh, give and, or and take. You're, and you're going to bed at what time? Four. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's see. What I fell asleep watching the uh, Clippers game. I think that was the game that was on last night. So what? You, you go into bed at about what? Eight, eight or nine? No, no, no. Between eight thirty and nine, usually. Dang, that means you're. I mean, it's a headache. You only get about what, six hours of sleep. And, and it's not enough, and that's why this morning, I two things. I forgot my yogurt. Ah. Oh. Yes. And I forgot to close the door to the upper room to keep that dog out of there. <laughs> oh no! It's probably in there tearing up. Yeah, I would, tearing I, up your favorite you know, recliner. There, right, I can under, I can understand the dog if he smells food, but then I have this garbage can up there, and there's no food in there, and he keeps going into it and then shredding paper all over the place. Can I? I don't get it. Is there a certain thing about paper that attracts a dog? Does he want to read my scribble? Nobody can read your scribble. True. So I don't know why he even wastes his time. I don't know. Do you ever, do you ever, when you take your dog out, does the dog, is it always on a leash or is it? Yes. Has it ever gotten away? No. Gosh, yesterday I'm outside. I had a a, mat, a mess from that storm on Saturday. Sure. I mean, it looked like uh, a jungle out there, right? Yeah. So I go out and then the dog comes out and usually this dog will stay close to home, but not yesterday. Nope. Because there was another dog in the neighborhood. So we run. So I had to go chase it. Had to chase it twice yesterday. You went running full sprint. Well, that's not very quick anymore. Right. I don't, I don't run very well. Well, but, it's a good uh, thing you work out, though. Well, it doesn't help running, though. Did you, you obviously caught the dog. 
Yes, and I wasn't very happy with the dog. Twice that happened in the morning, and I'm trying to clean up the yard. One time it was because I forgot to close the fence. The other time it was just because I thought... It sounds, it sounds like a lot of these dog things are all caused by your own human error to begin with. You forget to close the door. Well, you to forget be, to close the well, fence. Well, and defensively, he's just recently... Brought still this getting. dog in, so well, he's had to make some lifestyle changes that he's not accustomed to. My true. question is, how do you discipline the dog? Do you discipline him? Do you scream at him? Do you hit him? Do you, you know? I don't never him? hit. I would never hit anybody. Um, what I did yesterday, I picked him up, and absolutely accidentally dropped him. Nope, I oh. picked him up, yelled at him, and then put him in his kennel for a while. Did I, you use four letter time words? Out. No, I don't use four-letter words. Yeah. When and, and put you him in the kennel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he put him in the kennel. Time out. I put him in a timeout. He didn't like that. He didn't like that. Nope. The discipline. Now remember, we're just dog sitting. This is not our dog. Yeah. Right. Right. Someone in the app said the best way to catch a dog is to call it and run away from it. Counterintuitive. You know what? That's. I I happen to agree with that. That it's probably this dog does have What's a habit. What's the dog's of name? Irish. All right. So I could just see you running down the street the opposite. Well, I way was yelling, yelling Irish. 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 Yeah, that didn't work. Kept running away from me. <laughs> So I don't saying, mind one that crazy time, old man. Look at him going the other way. Looking out the window. Oh. <laughs> there goes Shermanian again. <laughs> Twice yesterday, and it's always another dog involved. Hmm. So it's not it's not Irish's fault. It's the other dog. No, it's Irish's. fault. It's the bad influences those other no, dogs. No, it's Irish's fault. You try to raise them right, and it's just bad influences. Well, no dog treats then. Someone said they were late because someone speeding on the interstate caused an accident. What do you think of it? You think you think anybody's buying that excuse that somebody else was speeding caused an accident? Okay, how about this then? Added to that, remember the time I called you guys and Daphne, and I told you about that big accident on the which turned out to be a massive accident. Yes, on the they, interstate. So what if bayway, I had gotten I there late? Luckily, I drove by a burning car, and I was kind of like, "Ooh, this! What if it explodes?" But anyway, I got. But what if? <laughs> What if we had been blocked off? Because I don't know if you remember going back the other way, the tie up and everything, people yeah. being late. That would have counted, right? If I told you yeah, guys, I told you guys to take a different route. We would have given you credit, Thank Mr. Shervanian. Thank yes. you. Did you stop by the way and help anybody in the burning car, or did you just go? I hope it doesn't explode. Are you serious? <laughs> go near that car. How do you like drive? You can feel the heat. I've never had that experience before. You're driving by a car that's on fire, and this was a tragedy. I mean, the, the person in that car, I believe. If I understood it, way back was killed. It was hit by a truck uh, in the fast lane, and nobody had gotten there yet. No police or ambulances or anything gotten there. So people were just gradually, slowly going by this burning car. Nobody was getting out. Uh, okay. Well, you made it sound like it was 3.40 in the morning, and there was just a car on fire, and you might have been the only one there to No, there to was save. quite a few cars there. The traffic was backed up. Hmm. It's a good excuse for not being there on time. All right, let me uh, let me do this. Uh, if you guys are confused about medical insurance, if you're 65, getting close to the age of retirement, you're within a year, and you need to look into Medicare coverage, call Aiden Marks. Aiden Marks, a Medicare insurance advisor, has been in the business for years. He can help you. He had a guy with uh, he'd been putting off Medicare because he was healthy, didn't feel like he needed it well because he waited too long he had to jump through some hoops you normally don't have to deal with he had to deal with a small penalty but Aiden Marks got him through and got him to the point where he needed to be 
give Aiden Marks a call. 463-0031. That's 463-0031. Or go see him at his office on Highway 98 across from Terry Thompson Chevrolet. Aiden Marks, Medicare Insurance Advisors. Uh, traffic and weather are next right here on the Sports Station WNSP. Hi, this is Blake Stein, former Spring Hill Badger and Kansas City Royal, and you're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Reeves fakes. Reeves behind the back. Hachimura, three-pointer. Puts it in. Rui Hachimura. All right, 8:25, boys and girls, uh, back at it here on a Monday edition of the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee and Triple G, of course. And coming up here in about five or seven minutes or so, we're going to talk to Mike Rodak. We'll get his thoughts on the scrimmage he didn't see, but uh, we'll get the latest on all things Alabama. Another topic too that came up because of that story that came out of the Mets Oakland game, and if anybody wanted to share a story on, let's say, an animal. Uh, getting in the way of a game or a performance. Now, there's some that stick out, but this one was really funny because of the way the Met announcers handled it. They were broadcasting the Oakland uh, Mets game in Oakland, which is considered the worst baseball stadium around. That's why they want to move. And there was a possum that got into the broadcast booth, not while they were announcing it. It had been there before, but apparently it left kind of a stench so the announcers, Gary Cohen, Ron Darling, and I don't know if Hernandez was with them at the time, moved, and unfortunately they moved into another press box where there was a pole in their way, which just makes it a little more difficult. So I was just curious out there if anybody's ever run across any game. Uh, Dan Jennings mentioned about the rats at uh, Shea Stadium uh, that uh, used to populate there. Wasn't there a... Uh... Wasn't there a cat dangling yes. from the Georgia Dome? Like, you oh, oh, no, I, you're a on a different story. Game? Yeah, I like, don't know about that. I want to say it was the Georgia Dome, like a college football game where there was a cat dangling and he fell and they caught him and it was a big thing. I remember a story, but I don't remember where that happened about a cat yeah. dangling. The cat that I, the story of the cats is the, the biggest one that I can remember. We're not talking about the, the play cats, but. At Shea Stadium during the Mets and Cubs, 69, where the black cat emerged out of somewhere in front of the Chicago Cubs bench. And yeah. that was always given as one of those um, legend stories about a cat influencing the pennant drive. I, I'm pretty sure you play a constant game of word association in yeah. your head. And sometimes it just kind of comes out. That's what happens when you have sinus infection. There's so much going on sinus, in there. Metamucil. So commercial. Prescription. Oh wait, I want to hear That's this what tune. We need to do, Lee. We need to get you get you a cat trading that dog for a cat. No. That's never gonna no, happen. No, 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 no way. No, no. Absolutely no I'm way. I'm with Lee on this one. Nope. Man, nope. Y'all are tripping. You you a cat? You a cat lover? Oh yeah, big cat oh, guy over here. You're anti dog or you just No, I'm not I don't have anything against dogs. <laughs> dogs can be a lot. They can be a little annoying. They can jump on you. They can run around. They can tear up stuff. He's a right. Cat? He's right. That's that been happening. Do nothing. Hey, do you just <laughs> do you just feed your dog just regular dog food, or do you give him anything from the the table? I've been I've been known to give him, uh, my dog a, a little taste, a little flavor of what? Anything in particular I can recommend? Oh no, I'm not getting. That's not your dog, man. I ain't gonna tell You're you right. how to how to. I how actually have been cutting dogs up. Dogs' stomachs are more sensitive than other dogs. Yeah, I've they been, have sensitive foods. I've for been, those dogs. been giving uh, my dog some apples. 
Apples. Apples are good. Yeah, apples. I was Have told you seen it at the grocery store in the dog food aisle? There would be the little refrigerator, <laughs> and it's the bougie little yeah. dog food that they pack like ground beef. Yeah, it's usually the, and then you look at the price and say, moving on. If, you, if you're buying your dog that, I can't mess with you. Yeah. We view the world in two completely different ways. Hey, if you see, don't, by the way, don't freak out if you see Lee running down the street the opposite way of his dog screaming <laughs> yeah. for him. That's on you in the app. It's All right. Fighting Irish. Yeah. Uh, Mike Rodak is next right here on the sports station WNSP. Uh, thanks for making us part of your morning. The opening kickoff uh, rolling on on this Monday edition. Thanks for hanging with us. Uh, Mark and Lee in the studios of WNSP. We like talking Alabama football with Mike Rodak from AL.com, even though he was not permitted, unless he's a big donor, to watch scrimmage on Saturday. He still knows somewhat what's going on, at least more than we do. And that's why we like having you on, Mike. Good morning. How are you today? Good morning. Yeah, I'm definitely not a uh, a member of the Red Elephant Club, and that's that's really all that's led in to these scrimmages. Them and you know high school coaches and players and parents, but it's uh, it's a pretty small group. Can any can any high school coach go to this, or do you have to have a player being recruited? Uh, I'm not sure on that. I've seen pictures of high school coaches, you know, who have existing players on the team. Um, I would imagine there's probably some local coaches around, but I'm not sure if there's a you know hard and fast rule on it. Well, you'll get your chance on Saturday with the uh, Alabama scrimmage coming up. But let me ask you a question. I, years ago, and I don't know where it all ended, even if you couldn't attend, the, the, the information office used to send out stats. When did they stop doing that? Uh, probably before I got here, because I, I can't remember them ever doing that. In fact, there was an incident... <laughs> I say that with quotes. Uh, I think it was last. <laughs> it was during fall camp last year when uh, a sheet of the stats and they were like handwritten were was left in the media room after a uh, uh. press conference, which set off a, alarms across the building, and they had to send an intern to run and, and grab them and make sure that uh, you know we didn't consume too much of that information. You know, knowing that whatever quarterback at the time, I think it was Bryce and you know Milrow, whatever had three completions or whatever <laughs> want us to know any of that in August. Um, I don't know if it's really, you know, it's, it's kind of college football. It's the way that everybody is to some extent. It's, it's all paranoia. And um, I even saw something this week. Urban Meyer had a coach on his staff whose only job was to monitor Michigan and basically like, how do we beat Michigan and scouting every single thing that they did. So I, I would imagine that there's other coaches or other, schools around the SEC who have coaches that are simply looking at Alabama and trying to consume every single thing that comes out. So I think that's kind of where the paranoia comes from. So obviously the quarterback issue is priority number one. When you're watching the scrimmage on Saturday, what else intrigues you or will get your attention? 
Yeah, um, you know, I think the wide receiver position um, is is intriguing to me on, on a few levels. I mean, I think a do they have that guy that is just better than everybody else? Because they didn't have that last year, um, and that was one of their problems. You know, because they had that for five years before that, they just simply had someone on the field, at least someone in some cases, two or three guys that were just simply faster and better than all the defensive players in the field. I'm not sure that was the case with Jermaine Burton. I'm not sure that was the case with Corey Brooks. I think they wanted that out of Tyler Harrell. It just never came together. Um, and then they had this big group of freshmen that I think there's some potential. Like Isaiah Bond is probably has the most potential. But we've seen those guys kind of go up and down. Like Kendrick Law had a really good spring last year as a freshman and didn't really do much during the season. Kobe Prentice had a really good fall camp and then did some things during the season. We haven't really heard as much out of him. Isaiah Bond has been the bigger name this year. Malik Benson, I think, is the big name everybody wants to see, the, the JUCO transfer, um, who should be getting on the field right away. So do they have that guy that's just explosive and can win, you know, give him a screen pass and he can run 60 yards? That's the first thing. But second, just like how does this all shake out? Because are Burton and Brooks just simply the two guys who are going to be on the field all the time, or are they going to start to mix a lot of different guys in there. Um, again, Benson, Bond, Prentice, Emmanuel Henderson. You know, I would like to see more out of the, the spot who started as a running back is from Geneva County. Um, and then the, the freshman, you know, wide receivers that have coming in as well. Can any of those guys do something right away? So wide receivers in one spot. And then the secondary, you know, I think I've talked about it before, but replacing four starters back there, you know, Caleb Downs is a top 10 prospect in the country. At safety should be starting right away. How does he look? Um, how does Terry and Arnold and, and Kool-Aid look at corner? Uh, Earl Little in the slot. Malachi Moore moving to safety. There's a lot of changes back there and a lot of guys that you just you haven't really seen in, in those specific positions. So I'd like to see that. Mike Rodak, our guest here on WNSP. Based on Saban's comments, what are you, what are you trans, what are you reading between the lines? What's he really saying about the quarterback race? Yeah, you know, I, I was on Feinbaum's show last week, and I think I said it, it leaned Milrow. And I continue to get that sense that Saban is, is higher on Milrow than he was last year in the sense of him being a, a capable passer. Um, I, I still think there's this overriding question of can they rely on either quarterback. But, you know, Milrow, we've seen the, the issues with the fumbles and the, and the interceptions. Can they rely on them to not turn the ball over? And that was really Saban's message um, on Wednesday night last week when he was talking after practice, and it was similar on Saturday, that you can make all these good plays and hit these 50, 60-yard passes down the field, which by all accounts they have to some extent, I think more in the first scrimmage than the second scrimmage. But if you throw interceptions and they're pick sixes or you fumble the ball or get sacked and fumbled, et cetera, you know, a lot of that can negate what the good is. And I think – um, you know, the way Saban worded it is you have to eliminate the bad before you can evaluate the good. So, you know, I, I, I just don't get the sense that Ty Simpson has shown, and he's been in Alabama for 17 months now because he got here in December of 2021. Over that 17 months, I don't think he's necessarily shown that he's like this can't-miss prospect that they absolutely need to put on the field. I think there's certainly flashes of it. There's some potential. I think he's gotten better. But I don't know if it's just like a Bryce Young situation where, all right, year two, like he's automatically the starter. Um, and so that, that's kind of where it, it leaves us. And, 
you know, there's two more practices this week. There's, you know, the A-Day game, so there's a little bit more time. But I would continue to say as long as Jalen Milrow can do some capable things as a passer and protect the ball, that I would still expect him to be starting day one. Yeah, so in reading your coverage, the things that stuck out to me uh, were I think some of the words you used and had quotes around it. When 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 Saban talks about Milrow is really special when it comes to his speed, I mean, clearly he's a huge fan, right? But then on the flip side, I think you also pointed out that Saban said uh, Milrow's making progress with his pocket awareness, which to me sets off a huge <laughs> alarm, right? Red red flag here that that's just code for, man, he's got to get better there. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's, I think, two separate questions there that he got asked on Saturday. And the first one was about Ty Simpson's speed and his athletic ability. And Saban said, yeah, you know, that's pretty good. And then he just pivoted to Jalen Miller and said, well, Jalen Miller is really special at, at that because he's he's fast. So you can tell, like, and it's pretty obvious, but Jalen Murrow is clearly the better athlete. He's faster. You can kind of tell that Saban is tantalized by that, and rightfully yeah. so. There was examples of that happening last year, the Arkansas game, that big long run, um, in Texas A&M game too. But then the second question was about uh, Milrow's pocket awareness, and Saban actually said he's getting better at that, but he said pocket awareness wasn't bad last year is the way he put it. He said really the issue was keeping two hands on the ball because of ball security, because he had the two fumbles against A&M, had the pick against A&M, got picked off against Utah State, got picked off against Austin P. Um, there was issues of turnovers, and that's – I think he – remember even last year he said he was playing with anxiety. So, you know, there's there's things there. Um, but, again, you're, you're – this is not a, a competition between Bryce Young and Jalen Murrow. This is a competition between Jalen Murrow and Ty Simpson. So, uh, if, if one is not overwhelming – and I don't think either necessarily is, then you kind of have to pick your poison and swallow certain things. I think Saban's probably willing to deal with some of Murrow's deficiencies um, if some of the the speed factor and and some of those big playability type things uh, pop up with him. Do you get the impression that Coach Saban has been, and you can whatever word you want in there, been pleased with the spring, so-so, or maybe a little bit down about it? Uh, I'd say somewhere in the middle. Um, I mean, I think he's happy with the team and the team chemistry. I think he even said that this week, that he likes the spirit of this team. And, yeah, I think people get excited when they hear that. And I think usually it it means less about the team, their ability on the field. I think he's more talking about how they've come together behind the scenes, uh, which was true with last year's team. He said that week one of last year, going into the Utah State game, that he really liked that team. And that continued really all the way through until the end of the season saying he liked the players. Now there were, you know, the blinking lights is kind of the term that he used and the, the JV on Cohen's of the world who transferred uh, were, you know, and he, yeah, I didn't say JV on Cohen's name, but he had that whole thing about, you know, the, the player whose girlfriend wanted to the NIL money didn't get into law school and all that. Like he was clearly talking about JV on Cohen, but once you got rid of those players and you play in the bowl game against Kansas state, yeah, I think he actually he liked that team, but it just wasn't an elite team they, it, on the field. It wasn't a team that was going to win a national championship. So I think he likes the team this year. I don't know if this is an elite team that's going to win a national championship. So there's still that dividing line between um, having good chemistry but just being really good. Like the 2021 team, I think, was better, but the team chemistry wasn't great. So 
the last time that it's really all come together for him where you have a really good team, but also a really good team on the field was 2020. Which of the three years ago, which of the two quarterbacks do you think, and this is just on your opinion, better fits the system being run by the new offensive coordinator? Uh, well, it, I, I think there's some misconceptions there because people think Tommy Reese is going to come in and run a different system. And Tommy Reese is going to run what Nick Saban wants, which is what Alabama's done for the last five, six, seven years. Um, he's had to learn the playbook. He's running off Alabama's playbook. There might be philosophical things in calling the plays that, you know, harken back to Notre Dame, but I don't think they're going to be doing Notre Dame plays. So that's, that's the important thing to remember there. But, um, I mean, honestly, I think if Nick Saban, in a perfect world, with everything he said the past half decade, he wants a passing game. He wants the ability to throw down the field. He wants the explosiveness. I think Ty Simpson offers more of that, but that's potential. And I don't think that potential necessarily has been realized yet on the practice field, again, over the last 17 months. So um, in terms of just trying to play sound football and be a little bit more controlled and run the ball and, and have a, a quarterback who can run, then maybe that leans Jalen Milrow. Um, but again, I don't think there's necessarily a, a single blueprint because even we saw differences between Bryce and Mack and Tua and Jalen, like those are four different quarterbacks who did four different things. I don't necessarily know if there's one particular style that he needs. Mike, uh, man, we appreciate you jumping aboard. How can people continue to follow your coverage of all things uh, Alabama as we prepare for Alabama's A-Day? Yeah, it'll be AL.com as well as Twitter at Mike Rodak. Hey, have a great week, man. We appreciate it. We'll catch up again soon. You got it, guys. Thank you. Thanks. That's Mike Rodak. All right, one final segment of the day. You guys can jump in. We'll set the table for the rest of the day and give you a sneak peek into tomorrow's show as well. It's the uh, opening kickoff. Mark and Lee right here on the Sports Station, WNSP. <laughs> My name is David Palmer, and I'm on WNFC 105.5. All right, 8.48, one final segment of the day. Mark and Lee and Triple G in the studios of WNSP. Do want to mention real quickly... uh, that you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we're on the uh, we're on the move a couple times this week. Uh, the uh, Dr. Chris Monix Championship Drive takes us to St. Paul's on Thursday, and then Sarah Land on Friday. So we're in studio for just two more days. So Nick, make sure you treat us very nicely because you only have us for two days, two more times this week. I'll do my best. Okay. Or, or you don't have as much time to treat us the way you really want to treat us. Hmm. And how do you assume I really want to treat you? I didn't assume one way or the other. I just said you could I'm do it either how way. How would you assume? I would assume that you miss us deeply. Are you coming out with us this week or no? Mm, probably not. No. Okay, then. Very good. Uh, so what do you got cooking for tomorrow's show there, Shervanian? Continue on the Alabama theme with Travis Schreier, of course. Kane Womack will join us at 6.30 tomorrow morning. In addition to this spring game... I want to get into that uh, rule, uh, that new rule that came out from the D1 Council, that instead of limiting 
a football, let's say, prospective student-athlete to five official visits, unlimited visits. Uh, and that's based on the university paying for it. In other words, if, Mark, you wanted to – you had a, a son who was being recruited, you know, they get – in the past, five official visits where they pick up the expenses. Now, you can you can go to a campus as many times as you want, but as far as the school picking up the tab, just one time. So now the new rule is going to be unlimited visits, but, in, but you can only go one time. In other words, you can't visit, let's say, an official visit, let's say Florida twice or Alabama twice, but if there's a coaching change, then you can. Yeah. So I want to I see if the, how that affects recruiting. Because as you know, all, the, the big slant has been on the portal. And I'm wondering if this has anything to do with the portal in that high school kids are really not getting, uh, let's say, their due. A- unless they're like 5A, 4A. You know what I'm talking about. The 2As, the 3As, and things like that because of the portal. And there's so much reference to that. I, ha- I just have this feeling that there's something there why are you expanding this? So, in other words, if if you wanted to go visit Hawaii and a whole bunch of other campuses, they'll pay for it now at least one time instead of just five official visits. Well, it, the, and I think that's the the one stopgap though is you still have to be invited to be. An oh, official of course, visitor. you just don't. So, yeah. Uh, so this is why maybe I don't have as much of a problem with this rule after thinking about it because the university can still dictate whether you come. I do think this helps with recruiting. I do, but I do think it helps the rich get a little bit richer because now they can bring as many people in as they can afford, right? I mean, you can bring in a thousand recruits if you want on official visits or how many they bring in. You can you can bring in ten times if that's what your rec- recruiting budget allows you to to do. I think it again it hurts some of the smaller schools, um, and as long as you can make additional visits, un- unofficial visits, the second time. But there's another way of looking at this, too. It could help, let's say you say, the, the non-Power 5 schools because you let's say there's somebody being highly recruited. And obviously he may go with the, you know, five Power 5 schools, but he can then visit other campuses where ordinarily he might not be able to. What's fascinating about this whole thing is many times these days when somebody commits, they haven't even visited the campuses yet. Now, they may have taken an unofficial visit, but they haven't taken their official visits. So many times I read where he has yet to take his official visits, and they usually wait till their senior year or something like that because you got sophomores and juniors that are committing these days. That's what I find fascinating about this, that you're giving unlimited trips, yet some of these student-athletes are actually verbally committing without even having an official visit. But I think it could help. But again, I'll find we'll find out from Kane whether he feels that will benefit, let's say, the non-power uh, programs because now you can get visits. But then again, do you want to waste your money on somebody that's being recruited by Alabama, Auburn, by LSU? That's 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 something that's in the works. We'll see. Well, I'm curious to see um, the direct. I feel like to your point. It allows schools like like South, for instance, to maybe bring in somebody that you normally wouldn't get. And when you compound that issue with the transfer portal and it's getting more and more difficult for high school guys to get noticed, does that help schools like South or does it ultimately maybe? May, I, I don't know I, where it's it going, hurt, right? but I, yeah, I don't know where it's going, but I hope it helps the high school student athlete who is not getting recruited by that many schools. Yeah. I think that's the biggest issue out of all of this is how do we help? How do we somehow balance 
what's happening with transfer portal and and give a little bit more weight to the high school graduate that's trying to get a scholarship um because last last i heard and this was a couple weeks ago there were more than 2000 uh basketball players in the portal Mark, that was 2 weeks ago yeah we had uh, Think about one that. of my guest hosts that replaced you was Craig Kennedy he said and that would be last thursday or wednesday when he was on there was at least 2800 yeah so 2800 I mean, for 2000 2000 people that's essentially that's that's 200 basketball teams of 10 sure I mean that are you, you are you feel, doing what I do? Are you doing what I do now? You're reaching out. Yeah, you're reaching out now and you asking could, somebody to come in and you help could you. Field 200 teams from the portal alone. Yep. Yep. Checking with Eric Musselman on that. He's already brought in four transfers from And there's no single there's no single yeah, I, I don't blame a coach. I don't blame a player. I how, how do you blame I mean you're out you're out to take care of you, oh, right? Thing is crazy. Coaches gotta win. They gotta win now. Or they're out, so they're gonna go find the best players they can find right now. It, players, the only one looking out for players are players. I mean, they're gonna try to go find the greenest pastures possible. So I don't, I don't blame any individual coach or any individual player, but it's a broken system that I just, I don't see. I, how do, you, unless we just get rid of the portal altogether, and you can't put that genie back in the bottle. This isn't going away. Well, it's only going to get worse. It, the only way it's going to get better is that you have to sit out a year. That would yeah, obviously deter. But, I mean, look at St. John's and Rick Bettino. He, he leaves Iona, comes to St. John's, and virtually everybody on that St. John's roster is gone. Yeah. So and, he's, and then last year, if you remember when the LSU coach took over, everybody was and gone. And I think the bi- what's more concerning to me than guys leaving for greener pastures are guys that are being kicked off teams, essentially. Because other guys are coming in. There's no room for the guy that you signed. So you think that's what's happening with Barry? I uh, Yes. I mean, I don't know that for a fact, but yeah. a week ago he's on Instagram home, right? right? Shooting hoops in, in Arkansas's arena. Do we th- now do we, he's in the transfer portal. Do we think Barry's coming uh, back to South Alabama? Um, be a nice thought. Kid, South Alabama almost made the tournament. You if, add a player like that, could that put him over that edge? If I'm a betting man, I'd say odds are he's back at South. Based on the reports, people are talking about old. Uh, I think Ole Miss, Ole Miss, Memphis, Ole Miss, Memphis, and South because the schools that had recruited him previously. Yeah, I mean, if he comes to South, he could probably start right away, right? Well, don't forget, Richie's bringing in transfers also. So I don't know if I, – I couldn't possibly answer that. He's going to be on Wednesday, but I, he couldn't – there's no way he's going to comment on that uh, right now. We can ask him, right? We can ask. He can't answer. He can't answer. We can, we can talk in very generalities and yeah. hypotheticals. Um, would he start? I mean, first of all, he's not even on I campus. Richie about it. He's not even on campus, number one. Number two, we don't even know what their roster is going to look like next year because they lost so many seniors. And number three, even when they have the roster, you don't know who's practicing well and who's not. To be fair, I would say, and not seeing him play because he didn't play a lot this year, so I don't know how much of his game's progressed, and maybe it has progressed immensely. I would say his biggest concerns going into college 
were his uh, consistency with the jump shot and his ball handling. See, uh, if those are fixed and, and those, then yeah, he could probably we, start. We so. hope that it's progressed because every day he's out practicing yeah. against that Arkansas team. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wouldn't even say his, his shot needed that much work, but his ball handling for sure. Because he's, you know, when you're in college at that level, 6'6", six, six, you've got the ball in your hand. You're power forward. Yeah. All right, we're out of time. We'll be back tomorrow at uh, 6 a.m. For Triple G and Lee, I'm Mark. That does it. The Dan Patrick Show is next until tomorrow at 6. See ya!